passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. I am John Pollock, and welcome to our special Rewind a Raw reunion. I'm John Pollock, and Wei Ting reunited for the first time since last week. It's been three days, Wei. Yeah, I'm just sitting here. I'm at the the backstage party where there's a brilliant red light bouncing up against the wall. Um, um, you know, uh, Nate Milton is here. Uh. I think uh, in the corner, I he, see he's going to play. He's going to play the role of Jillian Hall because he's not yep. going to talk for the entire show. That's right. Yeah. Or Jimmy Hart or, or many others who. Uh, yeah, they were there. You could uh, play Where's Waldo on this show. Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, WH Park was scheduled to appear, but I, I don't know. <laughs> By the end of the show, he never showed up. So uh, we've yet to locate him. But uh, yeah, it's been a blast. Well, we are going to go through quite the episode of raw the raw reunion um which is going to be quite quite the interesting show to 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 run through there was there was a lot on this show a lot and also not a lot at the same thing at the same time so anyway that's a uh, perfect perfect description i would say i think that that is about it our uh what do we have here one two three four five i guess we had six matches after after the brawn one but how was your weekend how is every, everything in in wayland it was good. Yeah, it was good. Weekends are always good. I, I got to, it was a very hot weekend here in Toronto, so. Oh my God, it um, was crazy. You and I both at different times went to this thing called the Bloor Street Festival, and I cannot recall feeling so hot in this city uh, in years. It was like, walk, you'd walk outside, it felt like you were walking into a sauna. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that. Well, I made the terrible deci- decision to have, like, tacos in this weather and i've i i i think i'm pretty sure i sweat into my taco as i was ingesting it that so, sounds uh <laughs> disgusting so i did that um but i also got to spend some time at at a at an outdoor pool so that was nice as well yeah how was well, yours i uh, it was all right it was um yeah just incredible heat that we are experiencing right now in toronto i think that the think that i heard on on one station that it felt on saturday like it was over 40 celsius outside like there was it's the closest i think i've ever felt to like something comparable to las vegas it wasn't as bad as las vegas which i you and i've both been to in the dead of july but 
felt pretty goddamn close over the weekend. That was my that was my big takeaway. It was just yeah. it was just unbelievably hot. And I've I have air conditioning in my house, and it feels at times like it's not even on. So it gets incredibly hot in this in this house. And then my Monday began. I woke up and uh, Max typically sleeps like decently and gets up between six thirty and seven thirty. And today I woke up. And I could hear him, and I was like, okay, it must be, I know it's early. It's probably around 6.30 or so. Not terrible. I looked at my clock, and it was 5 o'clock. And when I saw 5 o'clock on my clock, and I'm awake, I was just thinking that (laughs) my day is going to end in about 20 hours from now. I'm going to be up for 20 hours from now. And I I was so dead before this episode of Raw. And then I could barely get Raw to even start. I had unbelievable problems getting this thing to go on Sportsnet now. So it was way had to come in with with backup. Somehow I got through this show. Always happy to provide that backup whenever you need. It's uh yeah. Well, I got I got the main thing going. I I I I looked on Twitter. I was like, is this just my, my computer? Am I having problems here? Because I would go. I watch it on Sportsnet now. Like I have my Sportsnet subscription. I just watch it on their on their online like streaming platform. And it just said Sportsnet now is not available in your region. Like that's very peculiar given that I live in goddamn Toronto. And I went online and there were other people having this exact same problem as me. Did you experience this? Did you try? I think at the very beginning of the show, I might have. Um, but then like quickly into it, like during the Cena segment, it came back for me. So Yeah. I went on it's like there were people complaining about this, but not in such a crazy amount of volume that I felt it was some widespread issue. And then I just had to end up clearing out a bunch of like my cookies and stuff, and I got I got it to to work. So delete I don't know that history, was, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it just said you have consumed way too much professional wrestling. You don't need these additional three hours. We can see your history here. It all centers around. MMA and pro wrestling, and we need you to take a break. Maybe that's what it was trying to tell me. No Raw tonight. Maybe it could see into the future. Yeah, I could tell you that you probably weren't in for a great time. Yes. Well, uh, I did get things going, but uh, that is all to come. First of all, where where should we start, Way? What would you like to discuss? Let's do a quick recap of uh, what's to come on the feeds this week. Yes, uh, we uh, Wei and I have had uh, a little bit of downtime after the three straight nights of G1 shows at uh, Corquin Hall, but they will be back on Wednesday uh, with the G1 Climax, and that takes us into our entire week. On Tuesday night, Wei and I are back for Rewind to SmackDown, kind of like a hangover episode after tonight's big show. And then on Wednesday, we've got Up Next, we've got a G1 show coming your way. Oh, sorry, Up Next will be out Thursday. But our G1 shows return on Wednesday. Yeah, and this one on Wednesday, we're actually going to put up on the free feed. So for those of you Ooh. maybe still on the fence about it all, don't know what this whole G1 thing is about, you'll get a quick preview of it on Wednesday uh, so that you can possibly jump on. So um, it's it's been, what is it, seven shows so far? Yes, this will be eight on Wednesday. Yeah, if you're going to watch any of them, certainly watch the last three shows. They were all outstanding. I would watch the first night as well. Yeah, I'd go back while you have this time, even this this whole week. There's only one show until the weekend with the Wednesday show. Definitely watch the main events from the uh, the Cork and Hall shows because each main event was phenomenal, uh, including what may be many people's pick for match of the year, 
with Okada and Will Ospreay. But Sheriff, yeah. y- your own opinions. And if you're just looking to cherry pick the best matches on every show post that we have uh, for one of these shows, we always highlight the recommended matches that we uh, recommend. Uh, so yes. if you don't want to be spoiled before listening to our reviews, look at the show descriptions or look at uh, the show posts on postwrestling.com slash G1. So just go to those and you can find all of our recommendations. No one's show descriptions are as, as beautifully managed as Way's. You can always tell when Way has put his <laughs> his special touch that just makes everything look so much easier I, on the eyes. I take ID3 tagging extremely seriously. <laughs> on Thursday... That's when you will hear Braden and Davey with Up Next. We'll also have the Cafe Hangout because Thursday, salivate everybody. It's the WWE earnings call, which Variety made even more interesting today. We'll get into that. Uh, So, of course, when there is an earnings call, that is when we have Brandon Howard Thurston on the show. He will be with us 3 uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. You can tune in live if you are a double-double ice cap or espresso patron. Uh, That is coming out on Thursday. Then on Friday, it's the return of Rewind Away for our patrons. We are going to be going back all the way to February 17th, 2018 to review New Japan's card from Melbourne, Australia, featuring a completely different makeup of New Japan. It's only 18 months ago, but it was quite a different face of the company in 2018. So I know this is not a significant travel back. But that is where we are going on Friday. And Chris Thunder will join us, someone that is no stranger now to your ears. That's right. Yeah, you last heard him on the Southern Showdown review with WH Park. So uh, you all know how much of an expert he is on the Australian scene. So uh, those of you listening, maybe in Australia, maybe outside of Australia, I think you'll all find something to enjoy. I recently looked up our statistics today, John, of uh, where our listenership ship is. Um, do you, would you like to know? Um, Bulgaria. I don't know how well we do in Bulgaria, but I I will say, um, we have a sizable audience in the U.S., followed by Canada, followed by the U.K., and then trailing behind Australia. That's pretty impressive. So Australia ahead of Ireland. So we're way bigger in Australia than Ireland, if you needed to know that. Enormous in Australia. Well, tune into that. Maybe Chris Thunder is going to spike this this show with uh, record-setting listenership. Uh, so that is coming up Friday. Then into the weekend, Way and I will have G1 shows on Saturday and Sunday uh, coming out on the Patreon feed. As well, WH Park will have a pair of cruel summers on Saturday. He's going to be joined by Joel Abraham from the Super Jcast to review the 2007 final. And then on Sunday by world-famous Alan 4L who will be with us from Pro Wrestling Torch. And Saturday night, I will have uh, Phil Chair talk on with me for a UFC 240 post-show, Max Holloway defending the UFC featherweight title against Frankie Edgar. So packed schedule as per most weeks. You did mention the return of the Rocky Maya Be a Picture Show. No, I left that for you to announce <laughs> right at the end. The main event of the entire week, the return of Nate Milton with the Rocky Maivia Picture Show, and he is going to be reviewing Gridiron Gang with Marcus Vanderberg and Mike Mills from the Booking the Territory podcast. So uh, a three-way review of Gridiron Gang starring, of all people, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, if you didn't get your Dwayne Johnson fix on this Raw reunion, wait till Saturday. No, that's why he didn't do it. He didn't want to trump Nate on Saturday. Of course. 
So that's he, he's always thinking that way. So go check out uh, our schedule, postwrestling.com. If you so desire to be a cafe member, a great time to sign up, postwrestlingcafe.com, and you will have access to every single G1 show, uh, all the shows we have done so far with seven right there for you to download, and all upcoming G1 shows through the end of the tournament next month including our mcu reviews what a great time to catch up on all those before you're having uh, a, f- a million other things to watch uh, in phase four and someone told us that over the weekend our mcu reviews got extended by years pretty much we'll be doing these forever i think i also want to mention uh SummerSlam weekend is coming up and want to mention that we we are going to be having three different post-wrestling kind of meetups uh going on uh it starts on saturday because up next is doing a special tailgate Right before takeover, it's going to be happening from 1 till 5 p.m. at the Wide Open Bar, 139A Spadina Avenue. And you can go get all the information. Just go to postwrestling.com and then in the uh, upper button area, just click on SummerSlam. Very easy to navigate and you can get your tickets to go hang out with Braden and Davey. And who knows who will be showing up? I quite a few people i imagine yeah then the following day we have way and i our live in toronto show happening at the john candy box theater at second city in downtown toronto and terrible news way that second city is shutting down so we're going to be one of the final shows it could be are you kidding me i didn't know that that came out when uh i just saw this over the weekend i don't know when it's closing down it's closing down in the eventual future as is uh wayne gretzky's Oh wow! Wow, so, we're get there while you can, folks. If you've always been saying I want to go watch a show at the John Candy Box Theater, make it with Way and I. Is it something we did? Something we said? Uh, well, we haven't done anything yet, so I, I can't I can't take any uh, credit for that. It says condos are are on their way. So condos, yeah. man. Just I was reading this very depressing article over the weekend about just how the entertainment district in Toronto has just. It's like evaporated. It used to be like big clubs are no longer the big thing anymore, at least not in that part of the city. And it used to the uh, big Scotiabank movie theater. It's rumored to be shutting down as well down there. It's like all these little pieces of my childhood and teenage years are slowly disappearing. God, you're ruining my day. Well, I am here to uh, lift it up as well, because on top of that, uh, I wanted to announce this, that on Monday night, August the 12th, it is the night after SummerSlam, and those that have been longtime listeners may remember that we used to do Monday night viewing parties at a bar in downtown Toronto called O'Grady's, which is not getting torn down for any condo development that I am aware of. That'll be there forever, O'Grady's. I think it will. I think uh, a tornado could hit here and O'Grady's will still be standing. Uh, 171 College at McCall, a intersection I have not said in probably a decade, uh, for one night only. Post Wrestling is going to be hosting a Raw viewing party at O'Grady's. Uh, and I hope to see many people out there. It is free to attend, although you will have to get some kind of food. It is a it is a restaurant. You can't just come in and loiter. But uh, it should be a lot of fun. I'm going to be there. I know Brayden and Davey are coming. WH Park will be here. He's flying all the way from Japan to go to O'Grady's. And uh, we can't thank him enough for that. Plus, uh, Greg Oliver... Uh, is about to be releasing his latest book of Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, The Storytellers. Uh, If you have seen any of his series of books with uh, Steven Johnson, they are must-haves if you are a fan of wrestling history. He is going to be there that night selling and signing 
copies of his book as well. So should be a lot of fun. We haven't done this uh, in a long, long time, and it's going to be for one night only. So if you're in town and not planning to go to Raw that night here in, in town, come on over to O'Grady's. I promise it'll be a lot more fun. You can get up and take a break if Raw is not necessarily satisfying your desires and come hang out with us. I'm looking forward to this on Monday night. Uh, will there be trivia? There might be. Maybe we'll have to go back and, and see it's so I thought of that and I thought like in this smartphone era, trivia becomes much more difficult. That is very true. Maybe you have to like find something that's not Googleable. Yeah. And that suddenly becomes a little daunting on my part to like have yeah. to come up with trivia that is ungoogleable. Um some maybe like some type of number thing or uh I I don't know. Maybe well, maybe, maybe make it a game like about that episode of Raw that's up that night. We could do that, yes. So yeah, we'll have some some fun stuff in store, hoping to see a lot of old faces uh showing up for for that night. If you do want to come, you can go to Facebook.com slash post wrestling. We put up an event page and you can simply RSVP if you're coming, just so we have a sense of the numbers. We have the whole bottom area booked with the big screen, so that is happening. Uh, three straight nights of post wrestling. That's that's the real story. I also made a a, a link to, on the button just now. So if you go to postwrestling.com, go to the SummerSlam tab, click the little arrow, and you should be able to find links to all these events, including if you click the SummerSlam button itself, John's full list of SummerSlam events in Toronto during the week. You created a button in the time that we were talking about this. I sent a message to Sweden, and uh, those guys got back right to right right away. So, they are yeah. so efficient, even at this hour of the night. That's yeah. that's incredible. Well, Swedish time. So there you go. Big big weekend of events here at Post Wrestling as the entire wrestling world congregates in our city. All right, let's get into some news. There's a there's a fair amount of it. Let's start off with uh, Seth Rollins, uh, which has uh, forced me to not go on Twitter all night because it's one of those blew your Twitter that, up. Oh my goodness, it's just it just can't take it. So Seth Rollins today uh, did a uh, SummerSlam media call uh, that I was on. So I was, uh, I was able to, to listen to this entire thing. They nearly missed me, but then I made the, the fiery comeback right at the end, and I, I, I was the last person in way. I got, I got the final questions on this conference call. I made it. Oh, thank goodness. Yes. So, which there's a hilarious story about that I, I will tell you after the show. Uh, so anyway... The main thing on this call that I, I think was the most interesting was there was a reporter, and I, I please forgive me, I did not catch uh, this woman's name, but she asked Seth about uh, questions regarding the recent remarks involving Will Ospreay and also John Moxley going to AEW. So rather than simply uh, reading Seth's uh, comments, which you can't see in the, the news update, uh, let's play that audio. Recently, you've had this discussion on Twitter with uh, Will Ospreay, where you claimed that, in your opinion, WWE was the best wrestling in the world. So I wanted to know, why did you say that? And what do you really think of the independent wrestling scene right now? Um, well, I said it because I believe it. Uh, you know, I, I work with these guys in the girls day in and day out, and I have for, uh, you know, nine years. I've been in WWE now on, on TV for seven of those and stuff. Uh, I know what we go through, and 
Facebook. No other company in the entire world goes what we go through. They don't do it as much as we do it. They don't have the pressure that we have. It's a totally different ballgame. And look, the world, the way Will Ospreay came from or comes from, is the same world that I came from. So I know both ends. Will Ospreay doesn't know anything about what WWE does. And I appreciate his talent. I appreciate his hard work, his dedication, all that. One of these days, there's going to be an opportunity for Will Ospreay to come here. And there's going to be an opportunity for Seth Rollins versus Will Ospreay. And I can't wait for that. But until then, he'll never understand what it's like to walk in my shoes. Whereas I understand very much what it's like to walk in his shoes. And I am convinced, I know firsthand, WWE is the absolute best professional wrestling on the planet. No question. Okay, thank you. And second question, your ex-colleague Dean Ambrose, John Moxley now, has recently joined All Elite Wrestling. And how did you react to that? And what do you think about it? Yeah. Uh, I was surprised by it, for sure. Um, you know, I, I knew Ambrose was, uh, you know, needed some time away from WWE. But the thing is, he just loves wrestling. He just loves the industry. He, he just wanted freedom. He wanted to do his own thing. And that happens, you know. That happens for everybody. And I understand Uh, his position and why he wanted to, to go over there, uh, and that's on him. But now he's competition. You know, now he's the one who's trying to take uh, dinner off my table. And so uh, good on him, but um, we're going to do our best to continue to be the best here at WWE. And those guys want to step up to the big league and give it a shot, then by all means. But we're going to knock them dead just like we do everybody else. So, Way, I wanted to get your reaction as well. We can start off with uh, Will Ospreay and – He pretty much stands by his comments. And to me, after this had kind of, you know, he had come out with the apology. Uh, I didn't find this to be ultra aggressive, but he does really kind of dig his heels in of maintaining his stance that he doesn't believe there's any companies out there that can compete with what they do and stating that I've been in that world that he's in now and he has never been here. So I can comment on both, whereas he cannot. He has never been to WWE and really insinuates that one day there will be an opportunity for Will Ospreay to come here, which Ospreay has been pretty vocal about, like he does not have this deep desire to come to WWE, but believes that ultimately he will. And he's clearly a big fan of Will Ospreay, but really doubles down that WWE is the best professional wrestling on the planet. No question. Um, yeah, honestly, it didn't surprise me. Like at this point, I wouldn't really expect him to say anything to, to the contrary. Like he's not just going to come out and say, you know, um, New Japan's got way better wrestling. Have you seen the G1 lately? It was, it's it, that, that, that was way better than this edition of Raw. Um, he's, t- he's the company representative. And as such, I think he's expected to toe the company line. I didn't find this to be really aggressive. I just, if anything, I found it to be almost like, you know, uh, competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more so it's, uh, so for John Moxley, um, you know, when I, when I heard this, like, I, I didn't think like too deep about it, but you know, many people have just run with this. And he talked about the fact that it surprised him that Moxley went to AEW and he put over the fact that, you know, Moxley loves wrestling. He loves the industry. He wanted some freedom and to do his own thing. Uh, but also said that, you know, now he is competition. And the line that's, I, I think it's been somewhat overblown, uh, is mm-hmm. the line about he's trying to take dinner off my table. So good on him, but we're going to do our best to continue to be the best here at WWE. And says that if AEW wants to step up to the big leagues and give it a shot, we're going to knock them dead just like we do 
everybody else. Now, obviously, this is he is clearly uh, using a metaphor here, and one that is kind of funny because yeah, if he's there's not, been John Moxley is not literally going to his house and stealing his and Becky's food. No, no, not at all. And in fact, I mean, if there's anything you can say about AEW's immediate impact on the industry specific to WWE performers is that they have undeniably raised the floor for many, many performers. And whatever you want to, if you were to take a Seth Rollins, if his contract were coming due this summer, whatever he would be resigning for is significantly more than he would have been offered three or four years ago. I don't think that is without question. And that is across the board that tons of guys, I think are now getting significantly higher downsides because of what AEW has, has, has brought in. And I think that if, if anything, like they have, this has been a great, uh, the beneficiaries of the early rounds of this battle have been the talent. Certainly. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't expect him to really get into all that in a conference call held by the company like this to me this just felt like another stock line you know with him against the competition it it, it is what it is and i think that there's uh certain audience members that they want to hear this they want to hear these sides go back and forth but if i'm a performer i absolutely would never want a competitor to go out of business i think that's kind of this trick that a lot of performers kind of uh got into in the monday night war this idea that we have to put the other side out of business i mean who does that benefit if you're a performer yeah nobody nobody um but it's like you know like two people playing for a sports team and then one person goes on like it's like Kawhi going to the 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 clippers and then uh what is it um it was like uh uh fred van fleet saying you know now he's um now he's playing for the competition we have to whoop his ass or something like that that's that's all I see here. Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of this. And I, I think that Seth Rollins, I, th- I think Seth Rollins, like he ultimately is a guy that believes in where he is and being that spokesman for the company. And it is going to rub some people the wrong way. But, you know, certainly I, I think- like the whole Will Ospreay thing did him no favors because I think that already turned him heel against much of this audience. And anything that, you know, can be misconstrued as, you know, furthering that type of narrative People are going to, I think at this point, kind of exaggerate or maybe take at face value when, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't really see it being that shocking. Yeah. And, and I mean, he did respond to this uh, comment on, on Twitter, just talking about, you know, people that are taking his comments literally are just trying to stir shit up. And essentially that was it. Um what what I asked him about, uh, first of all, was uh, the roles with, with Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff. Now, specifically, this would be Heyman, but the the changes he has experienced himself as a performer over the last few weeks. And I mean, he largely said things have been the same. There's another there's another layer now in the process uh, with with the role um, that these guys have, but it's it's largely been the the same kind of process uh, in terms of you know what his involvement is. And then my other question was about the fact that we're going to Fox in the fall. If the wild card rule is still going to be utilized, is it time to start assessing if we should, you know, uh, unify some of these titles? And he said that if in a hypothetical world, if the wild card was to stick around, yes, he would like to see that. But he doesn't believe that's going to be the case because he thinks once SmackDown goes to Fox, you're going to see the rosters uh, much more separate than unified and 
probably the title situation stays the same. Although I can't imagine way, especially seeing the like the kind of gimmick that they pulled this week of just all hands on deck that if there's any issues on SmackDown, they're going to want to have every single person available uh, outside the company, especially on the roster that I have a hard time imagining by week five or week six, if there's that we're going to have these clearly defined rosters and you're not going to have access to half the roster on Fox. I agree. I, I, if anything, I see the, the rosters becoming way more, I think uh, singular as they, as we've seen, um, so I don't know if Rollins has maybe been told something in the back, uh, some type of promise that uh, once the show goes to Fox, the, this the, this will be different. But I certainly don't see that helping ratings overall, and therefore I don't see it happening. Um, and the only other thing kind of notable that he put over is, you know, he really made it clear that, you know, you had the three-minute match with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, and this one is going to be... Like, no bullshit involved, like, no run-ins. Like, this is going to be the big match that I- I'm sure both men, when it was first booked, assumed that they would have had at WrestleMania. And I- I'm sure, like, if they get 20, 25 minutes, should be a hell of a match at SummerSlam and most likely the main event, you would think. I would think so, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Variety had a huge piece on WWE Today and their declining television viewership and different metrics across the board. And uh, you actually read this before I did. And it was, you know, a level of research that you don't typically see among some of these kind of larger outlets that are doing a a kind of big view piece on WWE. I mean, this one, you could tell a lot of research went into this. Uh, The fact that this uh, reporter, Gavin Bridge, uh, was citing outlets such as The Observer, I think that kind of tells you kind of what they were looking at and looking at uh, Raw's viewership being down 20% year over year while SmackDown is down 17%. Uh, This is looking at the first six months of this year versus last year and pointing out Vince McMahon's excuse earlier this year, which was that so much of the talent was off TV due to injuries or other reasons. And they actually tabulated the appearances of guys during the first quarter of 2019 versus the second quarter. And that's when you had Roman Reigns coming back. That's when you had more appearances from the likes of Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, Alexa Bliss, Braun Strowman, and the two uh, that went in the opposite direction were Sasha Banks and Dean Ambrose, who were obviously showing much less in the second quarter for their respective reasons. But, you know, his conclusion was that excuse is not going to hold any water now. Uh, going into this earnings call on Thursday and how they're going to address their declines in television viewership. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, this is something that I think, you know, people who've been following the industry uh, closer would have realized and recognized from the moment that it was uttered. You know, we all knew that this was another bullshit excuse um, just to kind of quell, you know, uh, the, the, I don't know, the suspicions of, of the stockholders. Um, but I think it's something different when, you know, uh, mainstream stores like Variety picks it up. Variety, the same people who, uh, back in, what was it, May? Put out that yeah, cover Yeah, just story. a few months ago had that, you know, glowing story of yeah, WWE mu- with Vince McMahon on the cover. A much more sanitized version, I think, of, of the events. I mean, it very much kind of, uh, you know, uh, centered around Vince's interview himself, talking about the successes of the company, uh, you know, the new deals with NBC and Fox. And to kind of go from that to this uh, by a different writer, 
how, um, you know, uh, I would say a much more realistic look at, you know, WWE's current financials or, or current ratings declines. Um, I I think it's long overdue. And I'm very curious to hear on Thursday if investors on this call bring any of this stuff up and seeing how the WWE is responding. I'm sure there's, you know, once they're done Raw tonight, um, I'm sure SmackDown is in the works, of course, but then it's the battle plan about what to say to kind of, you know, um, satisfy these stockholders. Yeah, and I think that you would naturally look at the fact that they are, you know, they're going to do an above average number for tonight's show. I don't think this is going to have anywhere near the impact that that 25th anniversary show did a year and a half ago, which had four and a half million viewers. I don't think this is coming close to that. After seeing but, this episode of Raw, do you think it goes over three? Um, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be right around, what, what was my guess last week? Like 3.2? I'm not so sure it's going to be 3.2 unless... Austin was enough of a hook for people, which, I mean, as I recall on the anniversary show, they used Austin right at the beginning of the show. This time he was right at the end, which is probably the better strategic usage of Steve Austin. But um, I just felt eight days was not enough to build this up. I didn't sense anywhere near the anticipation that the anniversary show was able to to build up uh, ahead of time. And I certainly don't think you can come back with something like this when you're on Fox. Like, it feels like you really exhausted um, all your legends, and I mean, we'll get into it in in the show, but mm-hmm. kind of the the usage of your legends as well for maximum impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but back to this variety piece, you know, just to kind of have all these facts out there, uh, you know, of uh, not just you know the uh, the stock dropping, but also the the ratings declines all in one place. It, it's a great summary, I think, of you know what bringing up AEW as well. I yes. mean, mentioning the fact that they've had success without even having weekly television, and yeah. you know, an outlet like Variety—that's the one WWE is going to really sting over, because this is the kind of place that your investors, your shareholders, this is the kind of thing that in literature they're going to be reading a hundred percent. The timing is obviously, you know, timed towards doing it before the the, the conference call. So we'll see how they respond. Uh, Ryan Satin reported on Monday that two longtime writers with the company uh, were let go over the past week, uh, Steve Gieri and Steve Oppenheim, who both had uh, lead writer positions on the crew and had been there for a long time, I think uh, seven and eight years each um, that they had been with the company. So, I mean, that that tells you, Wade, the, the fact that there are shakeups going on and creative is, I think, under a microscope at the moment and hmm. trying to... and not having long-term attachments to people regardless of tenure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really know nothing about the contributions in particular of both of these Steves. Um, But um, I guess clearly changes need to be made, and we'll see if they're reflected in the actual product. I mean, my guess is they won't be, because the person that they might probably should let go, I don't think will ever be let go. Um, So I don't know if much will change. And the final story... Involves John Jones. Uh, this was first reported by KRQE News in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who reported on Jones, who is facing a charge of battery after this alleged incident at a strip club back in April in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, Mark Romundi of ESPN, he was able to get the criminal summons from the police department there in Albuquerque. And the woman at the strip club, uh, a, a cocktail waitress, is alleging that Jones uh, slapped her in her genital area, pulled her down to his lap, began kissing her neck, and placed her in a chokehold, uh, despite her telling him to stop. Uh, 
Jones and his team have stated they were not even aware of this uh, charge that existed until the uh, KRQE News reached out to them. And apparently there was a, a court, uh, a bond arraignment that was set up. Jones did not appear in court because apparently the the bench warrant that was issued uh, bounced back to the police department. It, it, Jones allegedly didn't receive it. Uh, he did pay a cash bond, and it's not known when he'll be in court next. Uh, it's worth noting that uh, Jones on Twitter, as well as a spokesman for him, have completely denied they're calling these false accusations and Jones stating that he is not in any trouble. Do not uh, don't be so quick to believe anything you read on the Internet. And I mean, his side seems pretty adamant like this uh, did not even happen. So we're going to see what happens. Um, but with John Jones, of course, it's just another in a long, long, long list of, well, this one, a potential issue that he's facing. The Wikipedia section of like his personal life, I'm sure is, or controversies, I'm sure is just, um, will take you a while to read it at this point. Yeah, it's, um, it's crazy. And I mean, if he, if he ends up being, um, innocent here, then, you know, he's, he's innocent until proven guilty, but, Mm -hmm. um, it looks like, you know, it's, it seems like he will have uh, a day in court as a Mm -hmm. result of this and get his side of the story out as well in response. One last thing to announce, I think, uh, for for the news section. Game Changer Wrestling tonight during Raw announced what I would assume to be the main event of Josh Barnett's Bloodsport 2. Josh Barnett versus John Moxley. September 14th in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I I can't wait. Yeah, it's... uh... It's very interesting that that's the match that's happening. Not not so much that I'm surprised because you remember when we went to Bloodsport, Moxley mm-hmm. was there WrestleMania weekend. Oh, yeah. So it totally is a promotion up his alley that you would see him really sinking his teeth into. What I am intrigued by is the fact that Moxley is being given the go-ahead to appear not just with another U.S.-based company, but one that is going to be streaming his his match that he was not allowed to do for New Japan. So that clearly tells you that uh, at least with GCW, they, you know, through Joey Janela, they have they've given him the green light. But also now with um, with, with Moxley. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I wonder, you know, what uh, what 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 sort of a negotiation? I, I mean, I'm sure AEW doesn't necessarily see something like GCW or Bloodsport to be competition, whereas I guess with New Japan, might be a bit of a different story. I don't know. But AEW at this point seems to have had that like mentality where they seem to allow a lot of their talents to do these indie shows, even if they are to be broadcast. Number of names. Well, I guess I, I suppose, um, you know, uh, um, Bola doesn't really count. But beyond Bola, I feel like, you, you know, there are plenty of like AEW names that show up everywhere. Yeah. I mean, there are uh, AEW names that are doing Bola. And I mean, Janelle has even stated that... Um, he will be going to an exclusive deal. It seems that most of the guys, it's going to be exclusive deals once TV kicks in right. in October. And I think that'll be the interesting period is from October onward, what is Moxley's non-AEW schedule going to be like, specifically New Japan? That, I mean, I think many people would hope that after the G1, Moxley's going to be around, but who knows? Well, Especially thank- if he needs to be on TV every week. Well, thank goodness Bloodsport is taking place in September and not in uh, March or April again, because um, I'm I, Moxley's trying to get it in everywhere he can. All right. You can go check out all of the news at postwrestling.com as we dive into the Raw reunion from the Amelie Arena in Tampa, Florida. 
Hey, by start- the way, our T-shirt giveaway will take place tomorrow on Rewind of SmackDown. Oh, do you do you want to do it tonight or do no, you want to wait till tomorrow? tomorrow? Okay, we we we've got a, a ton packed into this show, so T-shirt giveaway Tuesday night on Rewind of SmackDown. John Cena started off the show, came out, got a pretty good reaction, and he was kind of playing the role of the Street Profits, just uh, your host, running through all the names that would be appearing on the show tonight. Uh, the biggest being Austin, that got the loudest reaction. He said, this is his home. He knows he isn't as as uh, around as much as he used to be, but they're all his family. And this kind of bookended the show, way a theme of family. Family sticks together. Family doesn't go off and watch other <laughs> competing programming. Family comes together. And family doesn't have other families. You can only have one family, way. Man, this is a big theme on the show, I thought. Yeah. I thought Cena hit this, and Austin really hit it hard. It's... I mean, it's it's um, it's it sounds better than universe. I'll give you that. Family sounds uh, much more. Ca- I wonder if we have to turn it now from the universe to the family. Make oh, it boy. more. Make it make it feel more more together. The universe. It's just so big and mystery mysterious. Family. I mean, that's maybe that's what we're going through. If if they brawl over the uh, the guardrail and Cole has to yell, they're brawling into the WWE family. <laughs> um, Cena even started to kind of get choked up here. And said that he's excited to be here tonight as he was on day one. So this prompts the Usos to come out with the question, did you say day one? And they suggest... Before that, they did their whole whoa, 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 whoa thing, which is I was trying to just skip that so I didn't have to redo it myself. It's just totally not working. They've been trying this off and on for like the better part of like half a year now. And it's just met met with complete silence tonight. I, I think they should drop it. They suggest that Cena drops some rhymes, and Cena declines and goes to leave. And the Usos say that the people came to see the doctor. And this guy, this version of Cena, left for the movie business. So Cena returns, and he starts to rap and says that the Usos, y'all look just like your mugshots. And one of them, I don't know if it was Jay or Jimmy, just yelled out, shout out to Hillsboro. It was Jay that was, I guess they were both arrested. Uh, they've both been arrested. Yeah. So um, I, I guess that's what they do. I mean, we saw this on table for three after Jeff Hardy. I mean, this is this is great comic material. Well, I mean, listen, it's it's the doctor of thugonomics, John Cena. He's going to kind of get more into scathing material that'll make you say, ooh, ouch. And this was what you hit the useless with. They brought out Rikishi. Uh, Cena goes to leave, but then Rikishi tells him to back that ass up and says that Cena's the man, but you can't leave fast and furious like that. And they go to do the dance together and then get interrupted by the revival with the most natural mentor you could imagine with the revival, Devon Dudley. This was the true meaning of reunion. I was so glad the <laughs> revival and Devon were able to uh, come together here. I mean, <laughs> Jesus, like <laughs> they were really oh, regretting uh, Arn Anderson's departure uh, during this segment, weren't they? Absolutely. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's some backstage connection between Devon Dudley and Dash and Dawson that I none of us know about. But um, on screen, certainly you did not think about it. Um and I, I wouldn't even say I, I would think of Devon Dudley even as a heel. 
yet that's what he was positioned here. No, yeah, it was a it was a very strange um, pairing. And then we go backstage before we're we're gonna get the the tag match. Jimmy Hart is with Hulk Hogan. Hogan notes he's in his hometown, and Jimmy Hart is asked to take his pick of who Hogan is gonna beat up. And Jimmy's response should have been, "Brother, you're not getting cleared to beat up anybody." I've missed that Jimmy Hart. You haven't done it in a while. Well, he didn't didn't talk at all on this show. Yeah. You got Jimmy Hart. The the mouth of the South was muted for this entire show. Didn't say a word. At least he got to talk. Some people didn't even get that. Did he talk? I thought yeah. it was just Hogan talking here. Jimmy just kind of smiled and nodded. That oh. was it. I thought Jimmy at least said a word or two. I, I don't think he did. May, okay. Maybe. It was very brief if it was. Um, then it just became a puzzle of figuring out all these names we've booked and how to fit them onto the show. And one easy way is a four-person commentary booth. And we just got the rotation of commentators, starting with Booker T, joining Michael Cole, Renee Young, and Corey Graves. Yeah, I mean, listen, I know it's no easy task to try to jam, what, like 40 extra bodies into a script that, you know, I think the the main priority, of course, is to actually provide a, a show that, you know, carries the, the current storylines. Um, so they had to get creative. And I guess part of that creativity was using people on commentary. Um uh, and you got this. So the Revival versus the Usos. It's a non-title match. Rikishi's in one corner. Devon, uh, the the godfather of the, the Revival, is in the other corner. Uh, <laughs> this was awesome because everyone's thinking, at least I was, about <laughs> how great Arn Anderson would have been in this role as a cameo tonight. I mean, the guy was there for 18 years, and then you do this, and it's like, man, this would have been the perfect opening. So Booker's first thing is comparing the revival to Arn Anderson and fresh off his his signing with AEW, Tully Blanchard. I'm like, yeah, two guys that would have been way better in this Devon role who are not there. I'm surprised Tully's name was even mentioned here. Yeah, absolutely. Who I may go to say was used better in last week's Road 2 episode than all but maybe one or two of the legends on tonight's show. And maybe yeah. better than any of the them on tonight's show, to be honest. Like, I think Tully's cameo last week was maybe better, uh, yeah, like, pretty much than anything on this show. I don't know if any of the participants, any of the roster on Raw tonight were necessarily more over due to their attachment to any of the legends. Whereas I think Sean Spears, immediately, by having Tully Blanchard next to him, I think already benefited a lot more. Like, look how AEW utilizes a Tony Schiavone, a Tully Blanchard. I mean, they they really know how to use these people for uh, their their maximum impact and, and transfer a lot of that as well. Um. There's a commercial it's not just AEW, like it's you know, it's impact. It's it's like that NWA show who, who that did it masterfully, the last one that we watched. Yeah, that's um, a great point. So just it's just this WWE Raw that's just it just feels like it's you know, it it's like they wrote a script that said insert legend here, and then they've got Devon of all people to pair it with the revival. And and come up with um a punchline. Was there a punchline for this? Uh, this one didn't have the punchline, but that seemed to be the requisite for most of the legend segments was come up with a goofy idea uh, to involve them with. And, I, it, I and the, the novelty is, look who's here. That's it. Like, yeah. look who's here. Well, I wish those punchlines were more evident. 
Uh, there was a commercial here for Burger King that featured Alexa Bliss that they showed the uh, the picture in picture for. Yes, uh, a picture in picture break on a WWE Raw, which uh, is usually reserved for SmackDown. They got the advantage on Jimmy. He fought back. Booker compared it to uh, Manny Pacquiao's uppercut against Keith, Thur- Keith Thurman over the weekend, uh, which I believe is a fight that Booker T was at. Um, they delivered a high cross onto Dawson. Wilder went for a cradle. Uh, Dawson then pulled Wilder away. There was an uppercut into a bridging German. Then Wilder and Jimmy went to the floor. Rikishi and Devon had a huge face-off. It was SmackDown 2002 coming to a head here. And then Dawson yells at Rikishi forever, turns around, is hit with a super kick, top rope splashed by Jay, and the Usos pin the tag champions in a non-title match. So presumably, this feud will continue. The timing of a lot of these things like felt really off on this episode as well. Like A lot of segments felt like they were being dragged or delayed. Reactions felt a little mistimed. And I also noticed like that distraction taking maybe way longer than it probably should have. I thought the match was fine. Um, but it was just kind of there, honestly. And that's most of, I think, what I would say about the wrestling on this particular episode. It was not necessarily uh, impressive. Uh, it wasn't bad. Um, but by the end, like you would expect a bit more involvement from the legends either. Like, you know, I, I think you could have, you would have expected at least a 3d here or a what's up headbutt or even a stink face, but we got nothing. Remember that Royal rumble, the year when Devon was uh, not in the rumble, but Bubba was. So our truth had to play Devon. Yeah. And you could have done the reverse now and our truth had to play Bubba on this show. So he could have been both Dudleys over the course of the last five years. Seriously. Like it really felt like the people writing a segment like this knew very little of like these characters other than the Usos are the sons of Rikishi and Devon Dudley is a multi-time tag team champion. So you put him with the tag team champions, I guess. Um, but man, the fun, I think, of seeing these legends, you really did not get at all. Yeah, I just, I would have kept Devon off the show. It's like the guy's there every week backstage. I, I don't think you needed Devon on this show. I feel you could have well, found. precisely because he's backstage that they had access to him. I just mean like, uh, listen, they brought, just, they brought they, back Jillian, just... John, they brought back Jillian Hall. For this thing. Um, so I think Devon is well deserving of a spot here. It's just like if you were to list like anyone that you could put in this role, like an old school guy that you can pair with the revival. I don't think Devon would be in my top 100 picks. Right. Who would be of, of the people that appeared on the show, you think? Is there anybody? I feel like Christian might have been better for this role. But I mean, is there anybody on this roster who could be perceived as a heel? But they do they even need to be perceived as a heel? I, I Seriously, know. like you you could put Mike Rotundo in this role for for God's sake. <laughs> anyway. Maybe. Um they plug Rollins on Miz TV and then he's facing AJ Styles tonight. And Alicia Fox, who has now become a legend. Yeah, like she showed up on on the uh, in the final uh, uh uh segment as a part of a legend, so is she like alumni at this point? That's how she was positioned on this show. No, we her haven't and, seen uh, her on the active roster for a long, a while. Yeah. It's, it, it's very weird. Kelly Kelly is like three years younger than us and is also now, she's, she's become a legend in her field. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it's like record time. Yeah. She's, she was very young when she started. Uh, so Alicia Fox is with Dana Brooke and Caitlin. 
who I'm sure many people had to do a double take at first uh, and make sure it wasn't Ruby Riot. They they kind of gave her like you know the like they just pan the camera to her like with kind of the expectation that everybody would recognize her, but like she's kind of changed her look so much that I don't think anybody would have really recognized her. I would say if you didn't watch the May Young classic, but I even, got she a looks lot of different people, from that. I guess a bit, yeah. Um, different color hair. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I guess she does look a bit. Different. And I don't know how recognizable she really was to begin with, to be honest. Alicia Fox is talking about the size of her hat that she's going to wear for SummerSlam, kind of indicating she'll be at SummerSlam. Okay. Uh, Tori Wilson walked in, followed by Santino Morella, Canadian broadcasting star Santino Morella, and Alicia Fox asked Santino about his sister and his little friend before he realizes she's talking about the Cobra, which he is wearing. And then Drew McIntyre walks in, says legends and just shakes his head and walks off. Mm-hmm. This yeah. was one of our many segments of, uh, just burying the legends for some heel heat. Well, at least it's, it's done by the actual heel. Who's, you know, going, you would think towards the main event of the, company right um i'd rather that than having the legends embarrass the heel like we would see later on on this show um it makes drew look like an asshole but it also makes him look far above all the, all this you know all these shenanigans just remember like years ago somebody like drew mcintyre would have been in a backstage skit like this as part of 3mb so the man at, at least is in a, a much better position now charlie was with our truth and carmella uh, we got the the trademark line, having your head on a swivel. And they showed footage from the San Diego Comic-Con where Truth was being interviewed by IGN and talked about being dressed up as a penguin and then complained about the weather, which led to the hurricane showing up on the interview panel and pin and going to pin him. Truth kicks out and then Drake Maverick tried to pin him unsuccessfully as the two hosts just looked on with the silliest looks on their face. Uh, watching this yeah i thought we would get more interesting footage from the actual comic convention itself um there was some some done that i got wind of from uh some something i saw of like drake maverick trying to storm some type of a uh, panel he was passing out like our truth flyers the whole time dressed in that banana outfit i thought we would get more footage of this on raw but i guess it was mainly done for the online audience yeah um, so then R-Truth goes on about penguins and chickens being second cousins. Renee Michelle shows up saying that R-Truth ruined her wedding, ruined her marriage, and has ruined her husband's life. And she starts arguing with Carmella, and it's all a ploy for Drake Maverick to sneak up from behind, rolls up Truth, and pins him, while Charlie just has to have this ridiculous look on her face and wait until the Godfather walks in after the carnage. And he just does his catchphrase dances with Charlie and engraves and Renee young mocked her dancing. Yeah. Like no Godfather check off the list. We got him on the show. No, I think like wit attached to it at all. Nothing that really kind of suggests like there's any story tie to the Godfather, like no reason for Godfather to exist here other than here's a guy backstage, write him into the show. And it was simply play the music and have him dance with, with this dude or with a Charlie and do the catchphrase, like like just lazy. It's just like they, and and listen, I don't know if I can even call it lazy or just the fact that like 
they did not have time, I suppose, to like maybe write something more, a bit more substantial and you know, it, it pers- personally written for a character like the Godfather. But I figured you, you would have figured they would have known like all these people were going to show up. Yeah, it's just listen. They they overbooked to a like I think they just John, believed like even, the even more names they, the better. But even if they had like ten people on the show, what evidence from the writing that you saw tonight suggested that for those ten people they would have written a perfect segment for them? No, like to me there there was one good angle I liked on this show, but it was nothing that you know for this idea that th- this very well could be the most watched episode of Raw for the year. And they did not do a thing for SummerSlam. Nothing. Yeah. Well, that's like, they didn't a, shoot some big angle, like no yeah. mystery, no nothing with Kevin keys. Owens, of course. No, no Owens on this show. I mean, they had the SmackDown house show, so I mean, Owens obviously was but on. They take that people show. off of those, those house shows all the time, and wh- like how 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 do you not have the guy you're trying to model after Steve Austin with Steve Austin? For that matter, okay, Owens isn't around. Why not have Becky Lynch there for with Steve Austin? Like, how perfect would that have been? Anyway, sorry. Drew McIntyre, Cedric Alexander never got stopped. Drew attacked him on the floor. Alexander fought back, hit a moonsault to the floor, and it ended with Alexander being lifted and hit with an inverted Alabama slam onto the edge of the apron. So the match never started. I definitely do not see this as a SummerSlam match. I think this is going to probably be wrapped up on TV maybe next week. Um, but I don't know what Drew's doing. Um I'm, Maybe this just becomes a throwaway match at SummerSlam, but it feels very, uh, very, very nothing for Drew McIntyre, given what's been done with him so far. And they're not, it's not like they've teased anything either, but I guess you do have three weeks. No Undertaker? Nothing with Undertaker. Yeah. You know, last week, like, um, you know, I, I, I certainly felt like we had to reserve judgment to see where this Cedric Alexander thing goes. A week later... He doesn't Drew at least doesn't win over him, but he certainly gets his heat back. And I even if this feud were to continue, I certainly don't see it ending with Cedric Alexander on top. So I feel like his position is exactly the same. Therefore, I think last week was relatively pointless. So throughout the night, their big segment that they were building towards was a toast to Raw. And they had a graphic with four people promoted. Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, and Shawn Michaels. And they showed this graphic all night long. And, like, Shawn was, like, not one of the featured people in this at all. For that matter, neither really was Ric Flair. (laughs) But he at least got his own introduction. You know what I mean? Like, at least he was, he didn't, (laughs) they didn't let Ric talk. Um, Hogan got to talk. Austin got to talk. But it was almost like they had already rendered their graphic package, and then they're like, oh, Sean's doing something else on the show. He's just going to be a background player in the main event segment. But it's just very weird that you know they isolated four people to promote for that final segment of the show, and Sean was really not any meaningful part of it. I, I mean, they are the, the four biggest names, I suppose, if you, if you have to you know, look at who the, the biggest stars are amongst those legends. And I think a toast to Raw... Sounds about as generic of an event that I think you could set up if you don't know what exactly is going to happen, uh, as you can have. Can you imagine a 13-year-old begging their mom to stay up late because I've got to watch the toast to Raw? Um, I could see a 13-year-old wanting to stay up to watch this guy named Steve Austin that he might have played in his video games. 
Yeah. Oh, Austin's the hook. Austin yeah. is the hook. I just don't know how much. Uh, oh, man. We've got the toast. We've got to see the toast. <laughs> Drake Maverick is in the back. He's in the locker room trying to grab all his stuff when he opens up a container and it features all these worms and the lights dim. We suddenly get music and a whole lighting display as the boogeyman appears. Drake is frightened. He falls over and Pat Patterson walks in and I guess the idea is he's blind because he couldn't see that Drake Maverick was a person and he starts kicking away at this thing on the floor and then stands on him for the pin as Michael Cole, it, with one of his better lines, says, it's like Rio de Janeiro all over again as Pat Patterson wins the 24-7 title in the as little physicality as they could possibly allow this man to endure, which made me think, how in God's name is this guy going to lose the title? But they had a plan. <laughs> they did, yeah. And I'm sure a lot of that was maybe holding them back from like doing more with the Legends, the fact that... I don't know if there's something that that's preventing a lot of these performers from actually doing anything physical, but I mean, Dave Meltzer said as much that there was a bunch of changes to the script because of guys that physically just were not able to do ideas that they had, that they had to switch a ton of stuff around that. It was obviously created a lot of problems on the show that they had to switch stuff. Yeah, that would be a real shame. You know, I wonder what, what was the original intent with a guy like Devon Dudley being there and a guy like Rikishi, because what I think we ended up getting felt incredibly, like, unsatisfying, I would say. But I, I think Pat Patterson, in a segment like this, the way that they did it was perfectly fine. It's a 24-7 title. It's, you know, meant for kind of, like, joke changes, such as somebody like the Pat Patterson in his fourth ever WWE title reign, might I add. Um, So this was fun. Yeah. It it does bring up the question that you like your quote unquote legends, they're all getting up there now in years that you do wonder like who are the crop of their next legends that would be from like the mid two thousands. You know what I mean? Like yeah. someone that was someone that was a godfather level in nineteen ninety nine, he's gonna get that nostalgic pop. I don't know if someone in that similar role in two thousand five just because he was on the roster gets that pop when you go and survey the undercard of what a WWE show in 2005 looked like. You don't think Gene Snitsky showing up would um, elicit a big reaction? Seriously. Like that's, that's kind of what you're well, you're looking at. No, that can't be it. Like I'm trying to think who else it really is. Let me that. pull up a random pay-per-view card from 2005. Okay. And I want to, I want to see here what, what you, uh, I mean, obviously okay. the, your big stars. Okay. Like Batista, Cena. Yes. Uh, those guys, the biggest stars. Yes. But I'm saying stars. like even your middle of the pack guys, like, okay, you tell me of these names who would get, who would get a big reaction. Okay. Paul London, Nunzio, John Heidenreich, Johnny Nitro. Joey Mercury. He would, get, he would get a good reaction. I, I mean, he's been at Johnny Nitro. Yeah. yeah. Orlando Jordan. No. Muhammad Hassan. No. I don't think so. Big Stevie Cool. I guess he kind of trans trans uh, in Philly over multiple eras. Yeah. Um, we got Molina tonight and Tori Wilson. Yeah. John Heidenreich. Yeah. Well, there, there, there's one you could go. <laughs> These are those are some lean years. I'm just saying, like, there's yeah. there's a gap there where, you know, there was a hot period where you could you can pluck pretty much anyone from that 1999 roster. Like, you could throw an Al Snow. I think he's getting, you know, the courtesy pop. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I, I don't know. But, but like, even Al Snow's like an Attitude Era guy. Well, that's what I'm saying. A oh. guy of Al Snow's level would get that pop. Right. But you go to the mid-2000s, I don't know if that, just being on the roster for a year or two, necessarily has that. I mean, you look at who are independent companies booking for nostalgia. They're, they're not going to 2005 and booking John Heidenreichs. Um, mm-hmm. They go back to the Attitude Era, or it's the 80s guys that are, are still, they still have that, that star power, or at least the novelty that it's attached to your childhood. And when you have a an audience that the average age of your viewer is in their mid fifties, um, that's kind of the nostalgia when you're not creating as many younger fans that I think that the fans being created right now, that is a problem. I don't know how many new fans you're, you're creating over these past couple of years. Maybe it'll mean an end to these nostalgia shows for a while. Well, well that's what I'm saying is that you can only trot out these guys so many times and it's diminishing returns. Like they've done these shows a lot. That the next time they do it, yes, certain stars will will have that that value. But like, how many times have we seen DX. so many of these these? You've done DX so many times. Like Kevin Nash meant nothing on this show. He meant absolutely nothing. Yeah. So Christian comes out for commentary next, uh, and they introduce Lillian Garcia to introduce the next match. With the Viking Raiders against Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. And, man, if you listen to the commentary, which I thought was the most interesting part of this two-and-a-half-minute match, it just seemed like there was this annoyance that Edge did not show up for this. Because they're constantly bringing up Edge here. They ask Christian, uh, weren't you better than Edge? And then they're asking, where is Edge anyway? And he has to say, I don't know, he's on a mountain. So... It didn't. I didn't really get the sense that this guy had some uh, prior obligation. It was just, you know, he wasn't on this show. And, of course, he's the one that has the connection to Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins, not Christian. And Well, his wife also calls NXT. His wife calls NXT, and it uh, may not have been... An, I, I don't know what his reasoning was for being here. To be honest, like, I, I totally understand the stars that don't want to just be lumped into a night of 35 cameos, and why is... Is my appearance really going to be all that special? Um, and maybe he had something going on. I don't know. But it just seemed like Edge was the focus of the commentary here. Yeah, I wonder if he'll address it on the on his podcast this week. But I uh, would think he would. Yeah, maybe. Hawkins was wearing an Edge-inspired tights, though. That's right. Yes, they pointed that out. Um, at first, they double-teamed Eric. They came back. Uh, Ivar got slammed on top of Ryder. They hit the Viking experience in two and a half minutes. And... There was no announcement of the winning team, as Graves said that Lillian must have forgotten their names. That was odd. It was very strange. But the match was just a two-minute bit of a squash, squash squash match, really generic. Uh, Christian on commentary, you can definitely tell he's been keeping up with modern-day WWE. talks about it quite often on uh, on their podcast. So um, I thought I he, like was, Christian. he was yeah. a good choice for the commentary role. I will say, I think he sounds a little soft-spoken for a commentary setting. So I don't know if they would look towards him as somebody for this role, like, uh, you know, on a permanent basis, if he's even looking for something like that. But um, he knew his stuff, at least. Backstage, uh, Mike Canellis is shown speaking with Eve Torres and Maria shows up. And Eve explains that she was giving tips to Mike Kanellis because she's a mother. And I guess Eve is not aware that this is their second child that they're expecting. So Mike isn't a rookie at this. 
Um, I guess uh, I don't know. The, how many how many children does Eve Torres have? One, I believe. We didn't get Henner on the show. I was disappointed. It's probably off camera. Oh, and then making his appearance is Eric Bischoff, and he suggests that Mike and Maria come to SmackDown. So this was interesting that while Paul Heyman is playing the same role on Raw, Eric Bischoff is playing a role where he's, I guess, running SmackDown. Like they seem to be, this seemed to be the introduction of Eric Bischoff as an on-screen character. That's how I took this. Yeah, this was on-screen acknowledgement of his attachment to SmackDown specifically. So um, I find that certainly interesting. Yeah, I, and and we'll see if I mean there's no, there was no indication on this show that Heyman was going to be his counterpart. So we'll see what Bischoff's role is. I think you could have done a really cool angle of with everybody on this show. Yes, I do. Of you right now, there has never been a point since they did this brand split three years ago that the talent has been more muddled together. And if you and granted, most of the talent was not on the show because of the house show, so it's not ideal. Um, but if you were to do something where you had like a group setting and suddenly there's like this gang attack, and then Eric Bischoff reveals himself, and it's the SmackDown team standing tall, and this brand split is back in in motion. I just feel if you're going to introduce Eric Bischoff, it could have been a lot better than a backstage segment that was a setup for Maria talking about needing lotion on her belly to avoid stretch marks. I mean, I I think you could have done a a lot better with a lot of the people on the show, given the people that were there. Eric Bischoff was an afterthought here, other than other than I could see some people being curious um, to see if he's going to be on SmackDown tomorrow night as a result of this kind of introduction as a character. And then Maria just buried Mike and it, the big uh, line at the end was Ron Simmons grabbing Jimmy Hart's megaphone and yelling, damn, after Maria called herself the breadwinner of the family. Yeah. Pregnant women are crazy. Was that your conclusion? Um, I think just her. Okay. There was a SmackDown promo. Shane is going to address Kevin Owens, and Kofi Kingston will lay down his challenge for his SummerSlam opponent. But then we got the introduction of the most dominant group, the official, the original, the only club that matters, the OC. Yeah. I swear to God, that's the name of their group. AJ, uh, Carl Anderson, and Luke Gallows, the OC. I I got that song stuck in my head now. California, here we come. Anyway, it's no better or worse than the Bullet Club. Whatever, the OC. Well, the Bullet Club, they can't use that name because they don't have the trademark. Do they have the trademark for this? Um, I don't know. I feel like, in, can you can you copyright like two letters side by side? Um, I guess we'll, well find out by next week. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed to uh, get those OC shirts now. Well, you yeah, can. but man, Michael Cole explained it stands for the official, the original, the only club that matters. So really it's the O T O T O C T M. 
Will you say that every time we do a recap? I will, yes. Uh, they two-sweeted, and I thought that AJ Styles had an orgasm after this. It was really too sweet for him. Pat Patterson is seated backstage, and he calls Briscoe a stooge, and Briscoe just holds up the title uh, after this phantom pin and has defeated Pat Patterson. So much like his Intercontinental title win, his 24-7 title loss also never happened. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, some some nice bookends there to his, his titles. Uh, and then Briscoe leaves with the title, walks into Kelly Kelly, who gives the most laughable low blow to Briscoe, and Kelly Kelly pins Jerry Briscoe to win the 24-7 title. Yeah. The this first, is when I thought of just turning the show off. The first female winner of the 24-7 title. Wow. The women's evolution continued. Yeah. And people were complaining that there were no women's matches on this show. It's like you got history. Well, I mean, what did you expect with the 24-7 title, though? You know, it's going to be comedy segments like this. I guess you were expecting comedy. Was this comedy? Yeah. It was an I attempt was... to be. I thought Jerry Briscoe was really funny. He was fine. Samoa Joe is in the ring. <laughs> I like this. This felt like his verbiage he had to call Raw the longest episodic television series going today. And he did it in such a mocking way that I'm convinced this man, you can give him whatever. He just makes it his own and he makes it work because that to me, it's like the kiss of death to have to call this show that. And he was able to do it in such a funny way that it worked for his demeanor. And he says that we should not be celebrating shows like raw reunion. They are a plague to WWE and it just allows the fans to put their rose-colored glasses on for their addiction to nostalgia. <laughs> I love this. Oh, he's he's amazing and I I I feel like, you know, kind of sad every time I say that cuz I don't the more we say it, the more it seems like he loses. So, I don't I've kind of lost faith in this guy ever really getting that push. Goes on to say Back in January of 2010, I was with a company that went head-to-head with this longest episodic television series led by Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan. And nine years later, where the fuck am I now? On a show with Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan, all because of you pricks in the crowd. It was an awesome promo. It was great. Yeah, he got all this out there. He said that he should be wrecking shop, painting in brutality, and sculpting in violence, but instead... We've got to watch the Usos dance with Daddy, spitting limericks with Cena, and it's embarrassing. And out comes Roman Reigns, and he gets into Joe's face and says, if you have something to say about my family, say it to my face. And I thought this was like, it was a natural reason for Roman Reigns to interrupt him, sticking up for his family. And then Joe comes back saying, I don't have anything to say about your family because I've already said it. And Reigns responds, you're from the same island. You know what happens next. And they start brawling on the floor. Reigns gets in control. Then Joe takes a Superman punch on the apron. And Joe won't get back in. Joe gets on the mic, teases a match tonight, but he's not doing a thing for these people. And Reigns says, not all Samoans are cowards. And Joe is not going to stand for this, this label of coward. And Joe accepts the match. I, I thought Joe was awesome. I thought Reigns was really good, too. 
Yeah, he's always great. I think they they're both they both have great chemistry together obviously. I was a little disappointed that this only seemed to be done to promote the next segment. And I also felt I thought like- this was going to be SummerSlam to be honest cuz Reigns they've teased nothing for him. I actually thought it's like yeah, we've done this match, but I thought they were setting this up for SummerSlam. No, they were only setting this up for the next segment. And it felt no. like this was this uh um like 10 minutes of like talking that I think they really dragged out. Uh Roman took really like a long time to get to that ring. I feel longer than typical. Um, and I think I realized partway through it that they were trying to extend probably what really only required five minutes until 10 minutes in order to make sure that they didn't have to sneak a commercial break bit in, in between a match. Because this was just, you know, 10 minutes of talking, going to break, and then a commercial break. Uh, it felt a little bit awkward because of, I think, how long they were trying to drag this whole thing out. But I do appreciate the effort. And it seems like they are at least listening to the audience who have been complaining about those awkward two out of three fall matches and those resets. Um, you know, it's too bad. Like for a segment like this, you didn't have a legend to go to to maybe make the whole thing run a bit quicker uh, and, and at a, a, a more, I don't know, exciting pace. Um, but these two did the best they could. So Joe took him down with a shoulder block, hit a tope suicida. Then Reigns attempted a Superman punch, gets stopped, hit with a senton. Joe went for the coquina clutch, and Reigns sent Joe through the ropes. And as Joe returned to the ring, got speared and pinned in 539. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was either this or, I guess, you know, a longer match, but with a commercial break in between. Um, and I think I'd probably prefer this energy for this match was a little low. I wonder if that was maybe due to the lull with the commercial break before the start of this match. I also feel like, um, look what this crowd sat through. I mean, it's at this point, dude, dude, this was our third match of the show and we're already into the second hour. Like they, they are watching a lot on this screen and listen to a lot of promos. Well, I guess it's a segment like this where I feel like you could have used some of those, uh, uh, led some of that legend involvement. I don't know who of that pack you would have picked to to fit into something like this, though. Um, but it just kind of felt like a bit of a an exhibition match, really, like a house show match. And Joe continues losing to everybody. This is where the loss of Sid was really felt. Sid here? Sid just anywhere. Just plug him in. Yeah. Miz TV. Miz plugs that Miz and Mrs. is returning on Tuesday night. Cool. And his guest is Seth Rollins. And they recapped his loss to Brock Lesnar. And then Rollins, I don't know what the hell he did here. He starts reciting Brock Lesnar's name, but this does this exaggerated, over-the-top delivery of his name. Then he starts making faces and called him Godzilla. Um, this was this was suffering God. succotash level for Seth Rollins. This was just ungodly bad. I I watched this and I think back about the quote that he gave, um, talking about how there's nobody in this business who does what they do week in and night in and night out. And I guess he's certainly right. Nobody has to do this other than the people in the WWE night in and night out embarrass themselves on live TV like this. I thought he was incredibly corny here, really bad. Seth Brock Lesnar is a Seth Rollins wannabe. That was his yes. main line of this promo. Yes. Lesnar is the wannabe. And Heyman appears in the back and calls himself Seth's dose of reality. And he calls it even because, if everyone recalls, 
Rollins cashed in his Money in the Bank briefcase on Lesnar at WrestleMania in 2015. And this is Rollins' uh, rationale for calling Lesnar a Rollins wannabe because he cashed in on him first. Is this the material that, like, you give to your big baby face? I did this first, therefore he's copying me. This is like the the rationale of a five-year-old. They need they need to go back and watch. Maybe they got to w- go back in uh in Raw's history and watch how they built up Rock and Brock Lesnar for SummerSlam <laughs> uh 17 years ago. Phenomenal yeah. build and it did not require this. And if it did, Rock would have been a lot better that this than Seth would. And that's the curse of uh, Dwayne Johnson is the idea that I all of know. our guys have to do this ridiculous no, no, stuff no. that one in a million could pull off. I don't know if the Raw calling Brock Lesnar a copy of cat would have. I don't even know if I don't think the Rock could have made that work. Rollins challenges Heyman to walk the walk and then threatens to stomp his head, and this ends with Heyman fleeing to the back and. Lesnar is going to lose at SummerSlam. He calls this the biggest match of his career. References Mikey when looking at The Miz. And then says he's facing AJ tonight and it's time to ignite the fire and burn this segment down. Which the beginning did. I think I've just realized that like Rollins is just awful at comedy. Like anytime he ha- tries to do anything that, that where he's trying to be funny or being scripted to be funny, he just can't deliver it well. He comes across... Just a bit douchey, um, and the jokes just simply don't land. Did you notice no Baron Corbin on this show? Did not notice. (laughs) Charlie is at the Raw reunion party with Jimmy Hart, Jillian Hall, and Sami Zayn walks in and says that she is wasting television time with these so-called legends They're not legends. They are people that happen to be there at the time. And it says, this show is like watching the Attitude Era with the face app. (laughs) That was a good line. Line of the night. That was really, really clever and very timely. They should go home and stay at home. And he gets confronted by Rey Mysterio, who tells Sami Zayn to remember who paved the way for Sami Zayn. You give Jillian Hall that fucking respect, you prick. Zane says he doesn't respect any of them. So Kurt Angle walks in and says, when I used to be Raw GM, we settled it in the ring. So apparently he's got the authority and we get a match. Not that I'm complaining with Sami Zayn and Rey Mysterio because we were in for a treat of five minutes between these two coming up. Yeah, yeah, um... Of all the people to pick for uh, respect your elders who paved the way for you. We got like Jimmy Hart. Okay, I get it. And Jillian Hall. Those are our two legends on hand for this segment. Of all the people that are backstage tonight. I mean, that's who was there. Um, this was Jillian Hall's segment. Yeah, she didn't She didn't speak. Someone had a great idea. Um, I can't remember who, but I guess I guess Elias was on the SmackDown show, but... An easy segment to write with those two. Yeah, there were, I think, a lot of easy, you know, um, ana- ana- analogous, anal- analogous, analogous things that yes. you could have done between, like, characters of the past that were similar to characters of the present. 
And unfortunately, for whatever reason, uh, I guess them being on SmackDown is part of the reason. But I don't see how that was holding back any anything. Um, anytime they wanted to bring somebody off a house show onto Raw. Um, so we didn't get those segments. Kelly Kelly is our 24-7 champion. And she runs into Candice Michelle. And shows off her title. And standing around are Melina and Naomi. And... Swear to God, the question is, what's new? Melina says, well, I just got my license. What license is that? And Melina reveals a referee shirt underneath her top. And it leads to Candace attacking Kelly Kelly, pins her, and then she gets up and proceeds to do the 14-year-old GoDaddy dance. That I swear to God, not a person in this arena uh, recognized as Candace's trademark or remembered this because there was crickets as she did this dance and what was spun this, around. Thing she did on a commercial. So it was the 2005 Super Bowl, I believe, that Candace Michelle got cast in a GoDaddy.com commercial, and it features her doing this dance. And it was one of the big commercials. And it probably saved her WWE career because the diva search she had been in was the prior summer. And she was still there. And that just became like her trademark dance on WWE television from this uh, relatively, you know, 15 minutes of fame commercial spot that she was in that year, which was one of the notable commercial spots. But God damn it, anyone fucking remembered this. Yeah, not much of a reaction for this one. It gets worse. Medusa walks in and she had to apply the most hideous looking choke I have ever seen applied in a professional wrestling setting. She delivers, she applies this choke while Candace is standing and Candace just starts tapping and Medusa, Alundra Blaze, as she is identified, is the winner She holds up the 24-7 title, but notes, I am not going to be the champion for very long. And every single person knew what was in store here. Like, their their only possible idea they could come up with for a Lundra Blaze. They called her the 24 champion. Or she called herself the 24 champion. Um, Yeah, yeah. well, she's she's only going to have it for one night. It's not going to be spread out over any couple of days. That's what she meant, yeah. Jonathan Coachman is on commentary. Novel. Rey Mysterio versus Sami Zayn. Um, Corey Graves says how Renee stole Jonathan Coachman's job. And Coachman just explains that he was too busy anyway. (laughs) Man. Um, Rey gets shoved on top into the Tree of Woe. Zayn attacks his knee. Spins Rey into a sit-out powerbomb. Then lifts up Rey into a DDT uh, that Rey hits. And sends Zane into the ropes. He avoids the 619 and he teases leaving when Rob Van Dam's music plays. Impact Wrestling's Rob Van Dam, who I uh, guess got clearance to show up here on Raw. And I mean, sometimes you just have to allow someone to appear for the sake of history um, because this is going to be right up there with, you know, his, his one night stand uh, title win. I mean, any of the memorable moments. This is right up there. RVD walks out uh, in his singlet for whatever reason. 
followed by his long, close personal friend, Sergeant Slaughter, <laughs> the Hurricane, and Kurt Angle. Now, this whole time, each of these four get their own intro. Zane is standing on the floor. I guess Red Shoes is now the referee. Um, and then, after they start walking towards the, r- the ring... Zane then beats the count back into the ring after like 10 minutes here of introductions. There's a Hurricane Rana, 619, and Ray hits a five-star frog splash, and Ray celebrates with the legends. The legends, yeah, that's what you call them. Um, I don't know how they came out with this particular collection of quote-unquote legends to come out here to stop Sami Zayn from going to the back, but it was the most random selection. I mean, among the most random selection that I think you saw on this show. RVD, Sergeant Slaughter, Hurricane, and Kurt Angle all really doing nothing but coming out and just standing. They're certainly just, they all just felt like they were there to fill like a generic Legends gap in the script. Yep, that was it. I just loved seeing RVD and Sergeant Slaughter back them up. What a pairing. ECW alumni, Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> A limo arrives with Ric Flair, and it looked like Rick did a fucking blade job. He yeah. had a pretty big gash on his head. Well, he must have had a wild night in the hotel. Maybe. Well, yeah, Austin was talking about it. They sounded like they had a wild night. The Street Profits are backstage. Montez Ford is singing. He finds Dawkins, who's coughing and using eye drops because he was chilling with RVD. And then he's, ta- he's just rattling off names to Ford including Mark Henry that he was hanging out with, Kelly Kelly, Ric Flair, who literally just arrived right before the commercial break. And then he gets a call on his cell phone from the Godfather and he takes off and Montez Ford is left all envious because Dawkins is hanging out with all the stars. Is there a rule that that only like le- like a legend could only appear once or something? Well, that's not true because I guess Angle showed up multiple times, but like why didn't they have RVD in the segment like this? RVD would have been way better in this segment where he's putting in the eye drops and you just pan to like RVD or something with like a grin on his face or something. It would have been way funnier than what they used him for. Yeah. Like just a, a nothing cameo. Like it clearly was just book everybody. We'll figure it out once they get, uh, once we line up all these names. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I thought it was good for the street profits. I mean, something like this felt very much like a Heyman thing. Um, had like kind of like the young, Young guys get high with RVD. Sure, risque. Uh, it very feels very much like a, a Paul Heyman type of thing. I, I just wish RVD was actually in this. Alundra Blaze walks out, and she grabs a garbage can. A very tiny garbage can. I don't think this title would have fit. Oh. So before she can toss the 24-7 title in the garbage, Ted DiBiase walks out. And offers to buy the title. Has to search for the money in his side pocket. Buys the title. And the highlight was Ted DiBiase can still do the million dollar man laugh. After all these years. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever get rid of that. Hopefully not. I hope not. You know, I thought this was probably the most clever title switch of the night. Or, okay, when I say clever, I mean... um, There was at least, I would say, a bit of thought put into this particular segment with the participants that were there. This was Alundra Blaze doing the Alundra Blaze, Blaze thing and DiBiase doing a Ted DiBiase thing. Um, but sadly, I think all of this received a pretty flat reaction from this audience. 
And I can understand why. Number one, a lot of these segments or a lot of these references are incredibly old. I don't know how much of this audience watching live might have even understood some of this. It also really wasn't presented with that much of a punchline. You know, the way these segments were scripted, it was just like action, action, and that was it. DiBiase buys a title without any type of hiccup, and we move on. Do you realize that if there was someone in the crowd or watching on television that uh, graduated university this spring, they were not alive when Alundra Blaze dumped the title into the trash can? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it would have been like Tw- 24 years ago like would it have been what 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 would what sort of event would they have done for us at that age like that would have <laughs> taken this much time like oh something from 1971 that they would show on the first episode of nitro to to <laughs> capture the lapsed audience like yeah. oh let's Let's go back to the night Ivan Koloff beat Bruno <laughs> San Martino for the title. Let's let's do a playoff of that finish. I mean, it's it's unfortunate. I think maybe it just kind of goes to show you maybe the level of star power that they got for this. Um, unfortunately, you don't have too many more moments to pull from. And the way that they six, you know, I think crafted all the segments, they decided to save the biggest stars for last rather than spread them out throughout the evening. And this angle literally of Ted DiBiase trying to buy the title was the foundation being laid for the entire WrestleMania tournament mm-hmm. in in Atlantic City. And not to say you can't throw those little like, you know, references out there for the audience that does understand it. Um, I guess I don't uh, I, I don't even I don't even necessarily fault it. I just look at it more as an indictment of they know who their audience is. And to me, like, it's almost. Like, I don't know how many fans maybe didn't get this because how many younger fans are there that you're necessarily attracting? And I think that you are playing to an audience that is just getting older. And yeah, probably a lot of people do get the reference. But I think that just tells you of like, well, I'm just thinking of like a 10 year old that has started watching wrestling in the last year. And I don't know how many of those fans are out there, to be honest. Well, all your stars are from that era, whereas I don't think they were really thinking about too many like Jillian Hall I hate. I'm sorry. I feel like we're we're throwing so much shade at Jillian Hall, but I. Okay. Um. Uh. Uh. I'm trying to think who else was back there. Uh, like she was. She was the epitome of what people like. Just. She was just there. That was yeah. it. Like, there's nothing to write home about. There's nothing to talk about with Jillian Hall on this show. She was literally just a face in the background. But I mean, like, it's as far as like I think like big moments of like stars from that particular era. Uh, they probably could have done something, you know, but they, it felt like for the most part, all of these title wins, like even Kelly Kelly, like they were all incredibly generic. I, anyway. Uh, Jerry Lawler is brought out on commentary for the next match, which is AJ Styles, Seth Rollins, non-title match. And Graves, as the OC comes out, Corey Graves, the voice of the people, says he's waiting for Misha Barton to show up. <laughs> it's just oh, awesome. Yeah. Corey had some good lines tonight, I thought. Uh, Anderson and Gallows are in the corner. Lawler says that AJ's head is so big, he needs to wash his hair in Niagara Falls. Hmm. They trade chops. Uh, Rollins gets attacked on the floor, and as uh, as the OC are facing the entranceway, DX's music hits, and out comes Paul and Sean. 
They come out. They stand side by side with Rollins, come back from a commercial break, and they are in the corner opposite Anderson and Gallows. Rollins hits a sling blade, blockbuster, springboard knee, and super kick when Anderson and Gallows interfere, attack Rollins for the DQ. There's a standoff with all six in the ring. AJ says that you guys are part of us, and they put up the two-sweet sign. Hunter and Sean go to do the two-sweet, but instead they tell them, suck it. And the OC then gets so upset that they grab chairs. And this prompts Road Dog, Sean Waltman, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall. Is that everyone to come out? Road Dog does intros for all of them, makes a reference to China, makes a joke about Billy not being there, and said they may be the OC, but they are the OGs, and tells the OC to get to stepping. And. The big moment for Seth Rollins was he got to do the honors of saying, if you're not down with that, we've got two words for you. Lesnar wannabe. <laughs> yeah, the, the OCs versus the OGs. Um, man, watching a bunch of senior citizens chase like this brand new heel group away, I thought was a terrible way to to get this new group over in their first week with a brand new name. Um, how much better would it have been had you had Gallows, Anderson, and AJ lay out DX, lay out Waltman, lay out Michaels. Like, if you want to get this group over, what a great way to do that on that first night. Instead, they they were cowards, and they left, being chased away by like 60-year-old Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Yeah, which they've... I mean, they've done these cameos with the same group before. They did it with the Ascension. It means nothing now. With the Revival. Um, seeing Hall I mean, these guys, did, these guys didn't get laid out. So, I mean, that was the saving grace of this segment. But, listen, I mean, you're right. Listen to that to that curve, though. At least right. they didn't get laid out, as, as yeah. I'm sure this group is known to do. I suppose you're really only going to get as much as this. But at this point, like... What what did who gained anything? Did Rollins gain anything from this? I don't think so. He, I, I, he, I don't think so either. He needed like, get... DX to to help bail him out, like it's a senior citizen version of DX to bail him out, and it just made the club look so weak. Oh man! And and like beyond that, I I, I feel like I've seen DX so often now. Like I just saw them at the at the reunion or or whatever the Hall of Fame. Um that it just like this nostalgia pop wasn't even there. Yeah, you're right. It was just kind of you it know, was just, just sad, the procession dude. the Honestly, procession was, of guys. Like it was yeah. sad watching these guys come out. It's still clinging on to this like act that like that that was really the only thing they have. But even that said, I feel like people like Hall and Ash were really misused here. I thought they that they were totally wasted on a show like this, just being part of the pack. Dude, seriously? It would have been super fun for Kevin Nash to be on commentary for a match. Just Kevin Nash being Kevin Nash. Yeah. Hey, listen. It I, would have I been... wonder if they would have allowed that. Maybe there's a reason they didn't want him to speak. But I don't oh, know. this this sucked. Um, oh man. Ted DiBiase is with the title. He enters the limo, and we just hear a bunch of rattling. And Drake Maverick came out. Either he consummated another marriage or he won the 24 seven title. And then he tells Renee, 
they can now consummate the marriage. But then the geek showed up and chased him away. So obviously Ted DiBiase could not do anything physical. Yeah, yeah. Along with Pat Patterson and, well, barely Briscoe. But I feel like with the 24-7 title, you could definitely come up with ways that don't involve real physicality that old. I suppose you don't, yeah. Maybe they're they're extra touchy. Like I was going to suggest doing some type of like, you know. I don't Maybe know. Bra- I don't Bradshaw know. probably wasn't available or else they would have lost it in a poker game. Ah, right. But like, eh, what? okay, sorry. God, you guys are so negative. Can't you just, can't you just be happy? Mick Foley is If out. you're happy just seeing faces, I'm sure you would have loved this show. If you're I happy think... just walking like back there in a, like one of those autograph signing things and seeing all these legends, I'm sure you'd have a great time. I don't, like, I don't, I, I expect more. I expect good writing. I expect good performances. I expect, you know, an actual show, not just the roll call. Mick Foley is out. He mentions introducing the 24-7 title as all the idiots run through the ring and then to the back. He vows to win the 24-7 title. He did not live up to that vow. He says some of his finest moments of his life happened on this show, and he's been asked to pick out his favorite. And he throws to a video of his first WWF title win uh, the night of January 4th, 1999, the, the taped episode of Raw that, of course, I thought this could have been uh, a moment to bring out Eric Bischoff to take credit for spoiling the finish. Um, but they had a way better idea. It cuts to black and the arena goes dark. Bray Wyatt appears with the mask on in the ring and proceeds to deliver the mandible claw onto Mick Foley and lay out Foley as the lights go out with Bray's laugh. And I thought this was great. This might have been the only productive segment involving a legend and a current superstar on this show. Yes. Yeah. I thought this was great. And if Bray Wyatt's keeping the mandible claw after doing it to Mick Foley, perfect. It's such a great passing of a really well-remembered move. move. It's the perfect person to do it with. I was surprised Foley was even able to be, that they were as lenient to allow any physicality with Foley. Like they're, they're very, very conservative. Is the with claw these... really physicality though? I mean, it's just, it's Socko. It's the same way. Thing. It's like they, they wouldn't do that with many of the guys tonight. You know what I mean? Like they're just, once they rule a guy cannot do any physicality, it's like, you're not touching him. Um, but I, I mean, I'm not saying this was very dangerous. Just the fact that they did this, it was... It makes you wonder, because, like, if he didn't have the mandible claw, he would have had to do the Sister Abigail. And, you know, because he uh, There was no way he was going to well, be taking that, well, nor nor was there a reason for it. I liked, like... Like, there was a reason for him well, to take the move from him. It makes you wonder if the claw was always in the plan or if it was a backup because he couldn't do the Sister Abigail. Either way, I love it. I hope he keeps it. I think it's I awesome think for him. Yes. Um, and it, it kind of refreshes the gimmick. This was great. You know, I'm really glad like they didn't go the comedy route with him with him because I think it would have been really easy to, to script the Bray Wyatt interaction with the boogeyman. They did not go that route and instead went with something that was that felt far more serious and I think scary. The briefer the appearance, I think the better with this gimmick. And this was two for two with the feet. And, the feet. and I'm going to add this this now because I would be the first one to nitpick and complain about this. But awesome attention to detail that Foley was not out there for the final segment. Yes. It seems obvious, but I could absolutely have seen like 
Yeah. yeah, he's just he's just right back out there, and he was not there for the final segment. Uh, this was probably my favorite thing on the show. I love this. It was the most productive thing. Yeah, I like the Austin thing most. I, I love that. I like that segment a lot too. Um, this one, uh, that was kind of like a feel good moment. But you're right. This is the one that had repercussions for uh, moving forward. And so far, it's been two for two with Bray um, since putting him like on the show. Yeah. Then we had a moment of bliss with Alexa and Nikki coming out and they brought out Becky Lynch. Immediately Natalia comes out so that Becky can say whatever she wants to her face. Natalia says Becky and her met 14 years ago. They were wrestling in Japan. They had a similar journey and she's surprised at how little respect Becky has for her. Becky said Natalia tried to cut her legs out from under her and help train Ronda Rousey to beat her at the main event of WrestleMania. And she got this Raw Women's title from her MMA pal. And this is the scalp of the baddest woman on the planet. And they proceeded to fight on the stage. They got separated. And I I like this again. I thought that these two, they've been able to lock in on something. And I I like this segment. I love that line. The belt is the scalp of the baddest woman on the planet. I thought that was awesome. Um, I like that the back the backstory they're crafting behind this feud, you know, uh, drawing on their history and uh, maybe shaping that history a little bit to suggest that there was something ripped between the two of them. I I found it all very believable, um, and I thought Natalia's follow up after this was really good too. They aired a promo for Smackville, which is going to be a quick network airing of the live event uh, this Saturday in Nashville with. You know, I'll be really curious. Sorry, I'm. Um, yeah, I'm just. I'm really curious to see how this something like this would compare to numbers, say, from like the Evolve show. Oh God, I think I think Evolve would top this. I can't see the. I don't know. I, I sense no interest in this, but maybe but the I'll comparison be surprised. Would be really, really fascinating. You know, what can can Evolve beat a WWE house show on the network? Yeah, it'd be it would be interesting. Um, uh, I'll definitely say they plugged Evolve harder on Raw than they did this. I have more, certainly like, you know, our audience would have a bit more incentive to watch a show like Evolve versus a random WWE house show with no real attractive matches, matches that you know are probably not going to be that good because they're like WWE style matches. They might be decent, but even on a house show, they're more kind of of like, I don't know, I would say the lighthearted fun variety rather than, you know, something as as serious as, you know, a lot of what you got on that Evolve show. Yeah, they're going to do Kingston versus Samoa Joe versus Ziggler and Nakamura Balor plus a performance from Elias. That's what they're advertising. So it'll probably be about an hour on Saturday. Okay. Charlie interviewed Natalia and yeah, she just added that Becky made this personal by trying to rewrite history. The women's evolution was built off the backs of people like her and she's going to beat her at SummerSlam. So Natalia Natalia sounded great. Good fire, good logic in her reasoning. Yeah, no, uh, no Brock Lesnar references here to horseshoes. Um, I think honestly, of all the matches at SummerSlam, like tonight, I thought they did a pretty poor job of building up SummerSlam, save for this match. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. this was like the only match at SummerSlam I thought they they actually heightened. Um, because Rollins and Lesnar, I didn't think that segment did anything for the match, and I mean that's pretty much it. We didn't get any angle shot for SummerSlam tonight. It's almost as if. The par- the pay per view barely existed in terms of the priority on this show, mm-hmm. and that match from last week, like I hardly remember it at this point, you know. So I think in the end, good stories, good promos will overcome. 
Drake Maverick, who's in like his 85th segment of the night, found Renee at the limo, and they're going to leave when R-Truth shows up, rolls him up. He's trying to hold on to Renee in the limo when Carmella breaks his grip. Truth pins him, jumps into the limo with Renee, and the limo takes off. Drake screams, my baby, referring to his title, and then he looks up, and it's Carmella who's still there and realizes his wife is gone too. And that concludes our eight 24-7 title changes on this show. Yeah, yeah. So it's, we're back to the status quo at the end of the show. Now The, the two-person division continues. Yeah. And now Truth has um, his wife. I mean, not that, not that I think we would complain. Um, I do feel like there's, there's certainly more room for like, other strong comedic performers in this division. But, I mean, it's working well right now with Truth and Drake. Braun Strowman murdered a guy named Randy Rowe that Graves said looks like he's in good Charlotte and is the reason people don't think the Warp Tour is cool anymore. Oh, wow. Braun said don't blink. Hit him with a pair of Beals, a running boot, and a choke slam in 42 seconds. The highlight of this was Corey Graves just laughing throughout the replay and noting that he finally broke Michael Cole after 20 years, who was just silent here. And that's what I wanted to see. <laughs> They got some great replays out of this. Yeah, they. It, this was genuinely funny. Like, the best this Raw broadcast team is, is when they clearly have just, like, broken each other with legitimate lines. That you can tell, like, these three naturally get along. And I think a less uh, produced version of these three would be night and day. Like, you can see, like, these are three people that clearly enjoy working together. And I think sometimes it is the format of Raw that loses a lot of that, that personality at times. Sure. Final segment. Ric Flair comes out, followed by all of the legends, minus Foley. Hulk Hogan comes out next, cuts a promo. He said it's great to celebrate the Raw reunion with his friends in his hometown. He thanks everyone for their support. Then his music plays, and it plays, and it plays. Michael Cole says that Raw has become an American tradition. And then Steve Austin comes out. Big pop. He gets into the ring by himself. He's drinking his own Broken Skull IPA. And then cuts a promo about being on the road, paying his dues. And he's not going to get sappy and sentimental. Uh, He does the whole what routine that the people get into. And calls the people on stage his family. He puts over all the production team members, the cameramen. He says the fans are family. Looks into the camera. All of you at home are part of the WWE family. And noted that he spent the day with Hulk Hogan today. They did a podcast together. They drank some beer. They ate some sushi. And he never knew Hogan that well. And he got to hang out with him all day. Then he goes on and says last night he was up late drinking beers and hearing Ric Flair stories. Then he went and ordered some room service. Was so wired that he went downstairs. The elevator opened. And there was Ron Simmons. And before Simmons could say it, Austin said, Damn. And they hugged for 30 seconds, and he invites everyone into the ring for a toast. Notes that tonight it's a legit sellout, I guess as to uh, differentiate it from the bullshit sellouts that we sometimes say on, on TV. And Austin says, how much time do we have left? Because this is a guy that's probably never had to deal with the hard out. He's always had the overrun. And he's like, okay, we got 60 seconds left. And, man, I thought he was just going to go in a million different directions. He starts talking about 
illegal activity in South Africa with Jerry Briscoe. Says how he didn't know what he was going to say out here. Got some advice from Jonathan Coachman. But don't think I'm going to be sending Christmas cards or any of that shit. And then his music just plays and we get the heart out. Uh, And if there is one thing to take away, Steve Austin fucking loved being around all of these people. This guy seemed to be having the time of his life and cut one of the best promos uh, in in forever on a WWE show. Mm-hmm. I thought Austin was great here. Yeah, in hindsight, maybe it was a blessing that he wasn't paired with Kevin Owens because I think it would have highlighted just how how far apart Steve Austin is really from anybody of the current generation. Like, he really was... He and Rock were really just two once-in-a-lifetime, twice-in-a-lifetime, I suppose, performers. Um, just electric completely. The moment he got on screen, grabbed the microphone, and just, like, felt... You know, what he said felt, at times, incredibly, I think... I don't know, uh, rehearsed, but also incredibly genuine. Like, that whole what routine felt like it came right out of, you know, 2002 and and or 2001 and, and like felt as sharp as ever. Um, he was entertaining. He was incredibly engaging, put over the crew, uh, did a way better job of, I think, selling that whole family thing than like any type of like PSA or I don't know, stats or anything could have like his words felt genuine. It made you feel like, wow, I'm part of the family. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Dad, Steve. Steve. Um, and there then, were a million kids hugging their television set at 10.58. It was also amazing to see Austin and his, and his legendary beer-catching skills in action again. Dude, just like, he's catching beer. Th- these were tall boys as well, man. You're ca- he's catching them with one hand while holding a microphone. So, really impressive. Of course, you have to be disappointed at the lack of physicality in that we didn't even get one stunner. In all of his appearances prior to this, you would at least get, at the end of the segment, a stunner to somebody. Um, I wonder if they did stuff after the show. Like maybe why would you do that after the show? Yeah, they'll throw it up somewhere. But why Why wouldn't you do that on the show? I understand. It really didn't fit the tone of this segment and this What do you promo. mean? To go off air, you stun the Briscoe. You stun Jerry Briscoe. You stun whoever. The Hurricane. You stun the shit out of everybody. That's how you send the crowd home on a high. But... I don't know if they had other limitations, but to me, that was glaring. The fact that, like, he did not end the broadcast with a stunner. Um, Also glaring was, of course, the fact that Ric Flair did not say a word at all. So I don't know if it was a time issue or if the fact that, listen, for a guy who was promoted as appearing from a limousine, simply to come out and make a twirl felt really underwhelming. So I I don't know. I mean, they they rarely let him talk. I mean, remember the Batista segment? I mean, it was just. You know, just physical. And here it was just the cameo of Rick being out there. Um, but this guy can still talk. Like, I see him on Twitter all the time cutting these, like, I mean, they're pretty crazy promos, uh, let's say. I don't I don't think that's him <laughs> on Twitter either. So I, I, I l- suppose let's so. not give too much credit to the Twitter promos. But he does do the video promos. That's what I mean. Oh, you're t- okay. I thought you meant about the the actual tweets. Yes. Yeah. No. The the, yeah. the the promos he cuts on camera. Like, Rick Flair, honestly, is like one of the hottest things in pop culture uh in 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 hip hop culture like you you can have him and i think you could maximize him way better than i think what we saw here well that was raw um no sid yeah i no sid that was the that was the headline story no sid 
Um, man, imagine that if everyone's in the ring and then all of a sudden his music hits and he just walks out doing that crazy blink with the vest on covered in, in, in water. Yeah. Telling Steve that he has half the brain that he does. <laughs> or I We're have half pal. the brain that you do. We're I mean. live, pal. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, this was a show that I think if they hadn't done this for like 10 years, it would have had more impact of just you could get away with a show where it's just cameos and it's just, oh, look who's here. Look who's here and have that reunion vibe. But no, not to me, it, you really it, didn't it have still the suck, John, because like the writing on the show sucked. like the cameo appearances that they had had were completely uninspired. It was three hours of like just tons of people showing up. If it was a well-written show with like, I think, segments that benefited not only the, the, the you know, um current performers but like we're seriously just like entertaining like i've seen them do plenty of times in prior nostalgia shows like they used to write like really good i think like backstage segments involving a lot of the 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 former talent but on this show everything just seemed uninspired the only thing that i felt like you know had had some level of thought put towards i think what the person's history was was the alundra blaze thing and i think the foley thing was excellent Austin was really just him coming out and doing a thing for himself, like like with his unscripted, I would imagine, like him just kind of doing Steve Austin. Cena's rap battle was very was good too. I thought that that helped the Usos a bit, but it was it was relatively brief. Yeah, I just think you know when you have this big audience, uh, I think like that's that's your time to do your big stuff, like set something big up for SummerSlam. Like coming off this show, what's bringing you back to to Raw next week? To me, it was like, okay, the the story of tonight was look at all the names from the past. And next week, it's back to normal. Like, there was no immediacy at the end of this where it's like, oh, God, I got to tune in next week. They did something huge. They set up some big match for SummerSlam. There was a cliffhanger at the end of this. Yeah. There was not. It was like a very self-contained show that if you were someone that had stopped watching Raw and were intrigued to come back, maybe you came back. But I don't think you're coming back next week. Yeah. Yeah. It. It felt like the SummerSlam stuff took place in the form of, I think, actual segments involving people like Paul Heyman and Seth Rollins, talent that were there anyway, Natalia and Becky Lynch. Um, it felt almost separate from some of the Legend segments. And, I mean, I'm, I'm really curious about maybe the crafting of this show and how much was really changed at the last minute. Yeah, and it would be interesting to see, like, we know the names of Jim Ross and Bubba Ray, but those are the public ones we know were invited that did not come, but how many other invites went out there? Because you have to imagine every person under the sun was invited to this show. Yeah. They were trying to build this as the biggest reunion they've ever done by the end of it. I'm not sure, but who's, who's really counting. All right. Uh, I don't think we got a feedback thread up. Yeah, we do. Do we? Yeah. I have it in front of me. It's in the cafe section. Okay, well, why don't you start then? All right. Uh, first of all, do you have a rating for this show, John? Um, I got to say, because of the potential that they had for this one, um, I'm going, I'm going four. I can't grade on potential. I'm, I'm giving this a two. No, I'm saying like I'm, I'm taking away because I think the potential was was there and it wasn't met. Um, yeah, I'm going, I'm going lower on this one. It's, I'll, I'll say four. But where? What about you? I'm going two. Oh, two. Wow. You hated this. Okay. Um, why don't you go through? Uh, 4.23 is the rating. Okay. 
We got a Jay from Colorado who says, Hey, since I'm not part of the WWE family, as are you, I think we need to talk about maybe having an intervention for Vince McMahon. Families don't let each other make mistakes, and families especially don't let each other book pointless reunion shows with more cringe moments than nostalgia. Legends returning just isn't special anymore. I feel like we just did this a few months ago. We were told months ago that we are the authority, and now we are told that we are part of the WWE family. Damn, guys, if that's true, are we really dropping the ball here? The 24-7 stuff was slightly entertaining, but wow, did it highlight how bad some of the WWE alumni are at acting. Alundra Blades calling herself the 24th champion may have been the highlight. Bray's involvement with Mick Foley made no sense. And while it was cool to see home again, it felt more forced than anything. I, I disagree on that. I think they're, they're two characters that certainly the backstory is mankind uh, weaves with Bray Wyatt, uh, like these tortured souls. I think the characters made a lot of sense to interact and you have potentially the passing of the mandible claw onto the younger star. I, I thought that segment, I liked that a lot. I hope they aren't completely done with the split personality, as I would love to see angles where people are expecting the fiend, but we get happy-go-lucky children's show host Bray instead. And why was Alicia Fox treated like alumni? Damn it, she's way too underutilized, and I feel like they've given up on her. Her new ring attire is fire. Why can't we have more Alicia Fox? The nonsensical Austin rant at the end about South Africa, Africa pretty much summed up the entire show. What the fuck just happened and why? I feel cold, dirty, and I need to take a shower. To quote Dewey from Malcolm in the Middle... I expected nothing, and I'm still let down. Well, I'm sure they were very relieved that Austin did not delve further into whatever illegal activities him and Jerry Briscoe participated in in South Africa. Jalen from Pickering, that might have actually been worse than Raw 25. I can't say that. I remember leaving Raw 25 more disappointed than this. Um, I would say they're very much on the same level. Pointless is the perfect word for this show. They'll remind us about titles going into trash cans 20 years ago, but want to pretend like the Click NWO DX reunion is still interesting and act like they weren't buddies with the club last year. And that's that like true. they could beat up the That club. is true. They last did do year, the thing dude, with, they fucking, he fucking teamed with them like two weeks ago. Oh, that's right. At, the, at Sumo Hall, they were all teaming together. It's not ca- non-canon, John. <laughs> It's okay. It's in Japan. doesn't count. Paul but from- on television last year at the anniversary, it was all of them with Balor in the ring with yes. Anderson and Gallows. Not AJ, but Balor was there with them. Well, they're heels now, I guess. We go to Paul from New Jersey who says, If I had to sum up this show, it would be fun slash awkward. Bray attacking Foley was cool and Becky sounded like a killer. I cannot express how tired of, of DX I am. Question, how much do you think some of these returning performers get paid for something like this? I mean, they... I'm sure they get, like, no a decent idea. payoff for the appearance. Yeah. Free night stay at a hotel, I guess. Chance to reunite with their friends backstage. See, really, they should have just put the camera in the hotel bar. That's the show I think they should have aired for three hours. Yeah. Are you are you going to listen to that Hulk Hogan podcast? Yes. I think. I mean, I think it'll be newsworthy. I'm, I hope Austin does a good job, as I think he's been known to do in this interview, and has him talk about a lot of issues people probably have. Uh, lingering still with Hulk Hogan. Paul from New Jersey, if I had to sum up this show, it would... Oh, you just read that one. Alexander from Portland, the 24-7 championship. Oh, pardon, 24 championship. Shenanigans were meh. Nothing was funny. It was hard to care about who won the title when you knew it would change hands constantly. 
WWE used this episode to have fun, but after a while, the fun felt so forced. If you didn't have your nostalgia glasses on, this episode had nothing at all to offer. I had so many questions about tonight. Why not set up Undertaker and McIntyre? Why was Alicia Fox on stage with all the legends at the end? Why was Alicia Fox in a ring with so many people drinking beer? Is Austin's gimmick For that, that matter, I mean, I feel like the number of people in that ring might have not, probably shouldn't have been around a beer. Um, there were a few, I think, noticeable. Is Austin's gimmick that he's an alcoholic? What the hell is Samoa Joe going to do at SummerSlam after losing to both Kofi and Roman? Did WWE really pay travel expenses for guys like RVD, Angle? Well, Angle's there every week. Sergeant Slaughter and more to just stand out and do nothing. And most importantly, where the fuck was Sid? The show sucked. All right. Okay. He asks us about a very bizarre commercial that we did not see in Canada. Andrew from Cape Breton says, So before I give feedback, I want to tell a quick story I heard years ago. Apparently Vince McMahon forgot he fired Jimmy Yang, so when Yang showed up at a WWE event with a date to see friends and impress her by looking like a famous person, Vince found him, wanted him to do the high spirits bump that the spirit squad did through a table to show Shawn Michaels it was safe. Jimmy told Vince he didn't work there anymore, and Vince said he would fix that. My question is, did WWE forget that Alicia Fox is still on the main roster? Did she get quietly released, or did they forget about Alicia, and she didn't want to tell them she was still on the main roster so she could get some TV time? This needs some investigation. Yeah, a lot of questions about Alicia Fox. I mean, I I, I feel like we'll find out in the days. This might have just been her reintroduction. I feel like she might be. She, she's probably done, don't you think? The fact that she was, I don't know. But she was, yeah, who knows? He says, as far as the show goes, a lot of the cameos weren't really offensive, but I think one thing they could have done was debut a new act to attack DX and the NWO guys and help the OC. Maybe bring in the Undisputed... Bring in the Undisputed Era? What? You're... Ch- anyway, he's... <laughs> Why would you bring the in the Undisputed Era when you have the OC that you're trying to establish, like, right there? Anyway, he says, maybe bring in the Undisputed Era and all seven of those of those guys could attack the old guys and you have a new over-faction. Yeah, I guess I, I guess the logic is like you have seven on seven, but I really don't think like three active men need the help of of like four other active men to go up against like one active guy and a bunch of senior citizens. Okay, two active guys in Triple H, but man, anyway, uh, he says. But instead, the OC got punked out, and now the only thing people can think of is whether they're going back to California, right back where they started from. Another thing they could have done was put people in matches with people returning who could still bump and get some wins over them. The highlight was Bray Wyatt using the Mandible Claw and McFoley, now establishing a new finisher. Stars of the past are the real stars anyway, unlike the schmucks wrestling on the roster today. Noah from Vaughn. These reunion shows are getting more and more pointless. Aside from the McFoley segment, nothing on the show used the legends to help some current day superstars get over. With three weeks before their second biggest weekend of the year, it's just remarkable how little they did tonight to promote SummerSlam. Side note, I was watching a bit of the show with my dad, who would be classified as a very casual fan, and he said the show reeked of desperation and was terrible. I would agree. The Wolf says, This was the most meh raw in a while. I had mixed emotions because I was genuine, genuinely really interested, but quickly lost interest. I did pop for Ron Simmons, grabbing the microphones from Jimmy Hart. The show had some fun moments, but often it felt like a bit of a struggle for most of them. The NXT champs were hilarious. For me, Seth trying to be Seth trying to be funny just doesn't work. I think he should let his exceptional athleticism do the talking. Then Bray Wyatt showing up, but I felt like, but I f- felt he looked bad by beating up poor McFoley. Some folks may feel different. Becky still is badass, and I like the way Natalia. I like the look Natalia had. I hope she loses the cat ears and gets more serious. Raw tonight ended up reminding me of a date I went on with an ex I wanted to get back together with. 
where we did all the things we did on our first date and other memorable things. My friends told me this was a horrible idea. They were right. Chris Thunder had the day off work, so got to watch live. As a reunion show, this was everything we one could want. Returning guests, jokes, referencing the past, and a few surprises. However, the problem is this isn't a one-off reunion show. This is a 52-show-a-year series. Progression towards SummerSlam was minimum at best, and worst of all, the current wrestlers seem lesser when standing next to the legends, reviving a hero's welcome. Most confusing of all was Michael Cole saying, and I quote, AJ Styles stated the OC means original, official, only club that matters. Hang on. Oh, he made the same joke I did. Two, is this Raw 25 out of 10? Okay, we go to... uh... B Detroit, who says, what the hell was that show? Because of, the, of, of some power outages in the area, I watched Rotanet at my mom's house. Her and my stepdad are old fans, so I thought it would be fun to watch the show tonight. Instead, it was just me at times embarrassed to even be watching and explaining what the 24-7 belt was. All the old talent got over with my mom, my stepdad liked Braun. They both checked out around 9.30 and asked how could I watch this for three hours. Good question, because I think this show was awful. Four roll-ups out of ten. Okay, Dave from Hamilton. Being the first Raw I've watched in months, I was hoping for a bit more. WWE parades out legends to boost ratings, but doesn't really use them to put current stars over. The segments with the legends and the 24-7 title was dull, but R-Truth and Maverick redeemed it. Most of the in-ring segments that included legends saw them putting themselves over at the expense of main roster stars, only notable exception being Bray Wyatt. I really didn't like the segment with the OC. It seemed like WWE was trying to heat up the faction only to have them take two steps back when they headed back when they backed down to a bunch of old guys who more or less limped their way to the ring and Seth Rollins. This is a similar this is similar to the burial the revival got at the anniversary show, except they took finishers from DX. These reunion shows are little more than short term band aid solutions. If they can't figure out ways to use these legends to drive storylines or put over current roster stars, then what is the point? Five underwhelmed size out of ten. I think the revival thing was a lot better than this because, at the very least, it was Ballard, Gallows, and Anderson that were supposed to benefit from that rub. Whereas this was like Seth Rollins, who certainly didn't need it, and I think more important was to establish the OC as a brand new threat. Whereas the revival, revival, I think by that by that point, were more joke characters anyway. So anyway. Alan from Ireland says, attempted to watch Raw Live for the first time in about eight years. Wow, so a lot of people actually coming out for this one. He says, you could tell this reunion show wasn't scheduled until it was announced a few weeks back. The 24 segment, seven segments were tepid at best. Joe versus Reigns was about the only highlight, maybe the solid Rollins promo as well. Is it just me or are all these nostalgic shows getting sadder and sadder each passing year? I swear Hogan has done the exact same promo on WWE television for the, the last 10 plus years. Austin was his usual engaging self, but to what end? And seeing Cena in the opening segment made me realize how much they miss a babyface presence like him. All right, we go on to Alan from Ireland. I, I attempted to watch... Oh, sorry. Uh, Cash, the best part was when Cody was when Corey broke Michael Cole. They laughed, I laughed, we all did together. It's a problem when the best thing on a show is an unintentional break. I don't understand how this episode got made, but I want to stay positive and focus on the good parts. Above mentioned Brandy Rhodes' flub, genuinely funny as it just seemed like an honest and unintentional line. Poor Randy. Oh, is that what he called her? Was it Brandy Rhodes that he called by mistake? I, think I said, thought it was. I think he said Randy Rhodes. That's what I thought. I thought he said Randy Rhodes as well, and yeah. then he got corrected. It was Randy Rowe, but I heard Randy. I didn't hear Brandy. But yeah. Anyway, doesn't hmm. matter. Maybe. 
Um, he puts over Bra- uh, Bray's 30 seconds to 24-7 segments were enjoyable. Cena, the Usos, in the opening 15 minutes. And uh, gives this show a 3 out of 10. Cool. Uh, we got a brand from... <laughs> brand from the Jers. Oh, gosh. My dearest geezers. Been a minute since we spoke. This show has brought a lot of reviews. Hell, I'm probably not going to make the cut, but I understand. This episode felt like the new face app gone bad. Yeah, not the first to make that joke. What was the purpose besides Papa rating? The only saving grace was Bray being past the mandible claw, but other than that, it felt dirty, especially with... Okay, I'm not going to read that. Uh, meanderings. Who benefits from the Moxley run at G1? New Japan Pro Wrestling or eight, eight and EW? And what happens when he loses? Also, if these companies aren't on speaking terms, what is the point of this run? Well, well to help the G1, really. I mean, it's, I'm sure New Japan is loving having them, that it's, you know, added attention to the G1 that I think uh, John Moxley was going to spark. And I would also say that it's, without knowing what the specifics are in his contract, we don't really know what this ultimately is going to lead to. Like, is it just going to be the summer? Uh, is he going to be able to continue doing things? Given how he's been booked, that they put a title on him, it would suggest that he's going to be at least making certain appearances with New Japan, which if they can get dates on him, even if it's not regularly, I think it's going to be to their advantage. And they're certainly booking him like a top guy and not someone who's just here to be in and out. I think Juice Robinson, if he is the person to eventually defeat John Moxley at the end of this, I think they're probably looking for him to benefit from, you know, the strength of John Moxley. And certainly if you're booking Moxley to be at the bottom of the G1, that win from Juice Robinson might not mean a whole lot. So, um, and who knows what other matches he might do before the end of, end of the year. He also asked, okay, I can't read it the rest. We have too much feedback. All right. I think that's it. I think we're, we're good on feedback. A lot Thank of it everybody. today. So a lot of like people who maybe don't normally watch live deciding to do it tonight. Yeah. I'm curious what the number is. Um, and if, and if this is going to kind of have a similar kind of pattern that we've seen over the years with the superstar shakeup, that it was, it's kind of decreased each time they've gone out. Like it's only been 18 months since they did one of these. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to have the impact of the last one, but we'll see if I do feel when they do this, um, obviously based on, on the sample size we have, people were checking out this show that maybe are not watching every week. So the number will be an interesting one to see. All right, uh, we will have plenty to discuss on Tuesday with Rewind to SmackDown. Uh, reminder that we will be doing our T-shirt giveaway. So if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you will be eligible for that draw on Tuesday night. We'll go through SmackDown and whatever else is going on in the industry. So check that out at postwrestling.com. Way, thank you as always. Thank you, John. And thank you. Thank you to everyone listening for being part of the Post Wrestling family.